You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Today we present part two of our Brewer's Guide to Phyrexia All Will Be One, with a look at more than 60 cards that could make an impact in Pioneer. Will this set achieve blessed perfection? We'll find out in Season 17 of Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show! Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, coming to you from the Twin Cities, the snowy Twin Cities, and I am joined by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is Caved In Online, Dr. Daniel Schriever. What is going on? Hello, hello, David. Good to see you. Been a while. Yeah, it is uh, spoiler season. We are ready to roll on the uh, latest and greatest from uh, Wizards of the Coast here. I can't wait. I just recorded with Mord a set review episode focusing all on modern. We're doing it a little differently this time. We're dividing it up by format. Bit of a shorter modern episode, but the way things go these days in Pioneer, that's where all the delicious brewing happens. So David, we got you here, our Pioneer Brewmaster. I'm excited to hear what you think about all these cards. Yeah, absolutely. We have most of the sets spoiled, officially or unofficially. A little hard to tell this time. Um, Watsy with a little issue of putting uh, some of the new cards into <laughs> booster packs from the previous set. So yeah. I think at this point we're we're just treating all these cards as sort of out there in the in the public consciousness. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about a bunch of them. Exactly. A lot of cool. A lot of cool new uh, toys. I think in the Pioneer format. Before we get to that fun stuff, though, we do want to give a shout out to some new patrons. They are Matt D, Kenneth C, and Dan P. Thank you very much to all three of you fine folk. Uh, Welcome aboard to the uh, Faithless Brewing Patreon. Yeah, absolutely. Just a reminder that if you're enjoying the show and you want to help support the podcast, the best way you can do that is by going to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. You can make a pledge at any tier you're comfortable with. That can be a dollar a week. Gets you immediate access to our Discord channel. We have a wonderful brewing community there where the ideas are flying left and right. We're going to give our takes on these cards, but there's so much more happening behind the scenes, and we would love to have you come join us for that discourse. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's get into it. We got a lot of cards to get through. There are a lot of cards that are at least worth considering. Not that they will all be playable, not that they will all be good, but um, I think we have to start off as uh, Zvi Mauschwitz uh, once said. First, we have to see what the mana in a format lets us do. <laughs> Huge addition to the Pioneer mana base. Um, the allied fast lands finally printed, completing the cycle. We've had the uh, opposing color fast lands since the beginning of the format, and we finally completed them. And kudos to Wizards for following through on this. 
for years and years and years. People were calling for these to be reprinted, and we were told, no, no, we, we can't do it because these are Mirrodin-specific locations. Fine. Well, you better do it when you get back to Mirrodin. And they, they actually did. I was nervous for a second when the Painlands came, and I was like, oh no, what if they just don't do them? But they did, and this is a big upgrade for specifically the green-based Pioneer decks looking to cast turn one mana elf, and I think even something like uh, blue-white. You know, there's a spirit tribe, there's a soldier tribe, maybe even blue-black. You know, there's some weird aggro tribes in blue-black that might want to use Dark Click Shores. Yeah, rogues uh, being one of them. The the thing to note, of course, is these cards have diminishing returns. If you are playing, you know, four to six of these and a couple of the um, creature lands from the Dungeons and Dragons set that only come into play untapped if they're one of your first two cards, you're kind of at your limit, right? You're you're going to run into, depending on how high your curve goes. So, like, Seachrome Coast, I don't think is a big ad for, for instance, Bant Spirits, because they are trying to cast Collected Company. They already have the blue-green Fastland. Seachrome Coast, right, doesn't uh, move the needle. The, the white-green Fastland doesn't really move the needle. So it specifically decks exactly like Dan's outlining that Lower the ground, aggro curves. They aren't worried about their fourth and fifth and sixth lands coming into play untapped. Um, and they need, maybe they have pretty rigorous mana requirements. You know, if you want to go like a white card on turn one and then blue, blue on turn two or something like that. That's where these cards really start to, to paper over some of the, the holes. I mean, it used to be when we really wanted to get aggressive with mana, we always had to play Salt Eye because it had the two sets of fast lands. You know, you could play the black green and the blue green. And we took advantage of that. But at various points, there are some mana bases we could have built uh, if we had access to all of them, and now we do. So I think the mana bases are all symmetrical now, or we don't have two color cycling lands for non-allied colors now. I think that's the one. Ah, uh, but those don't really, yeah, those are not super relevant. So over the fast lands, the one that intrigues me the most is Black Cleave Cliffs, the red-black land, because this is a land that I remember paying exorbitant prices for in modern I had to pay like $40 or $50 a pop so that I could play, you know, Thought Caesar Lightning Bolt on turn one. It was like the key land for these fairish red-black decks. In Pioneer, I think the red-black mana base is pretty much fine, and it's come to like rely pretty heavily on both Eye of the Eye Tyrant and then the Bugbear. So I'm wondering if, like, for the reason you just outlined, David, that the, the Black League Cliffs will ironically be the least important of these new additions. For that deck, I, I don't know that they'll play any. Um, obviously, I'm not a red-black expert. Most red-black players don't actually want to think about mana or making any actual deck-building choices. They'll just copy uh, Misplaced Ginger 75, and that's a great place to start. Uh, I think he's recommending maybe one, maybe zero. So hmm. I'm, I'm in no position to uh, disagree with him there. They need to hit their fourth land on time a lot um, to double spell on turn... Four or to double spell with five mana if they get to attack with their um, goblin token. So I, I I don't think that they have a lot of space to not play it. And their mana is fine. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how many they can play. I, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if the actual number ended up being zero. Yeah, so maybe it's just like a, a weird deck like Red Black Vampires or something. Um. Yeah. But it's good to have the tools. It doesn't matter. People just want to play stockless. They don't care. That's fine. It's good to have the tools for people who want to brew. That's what the that's what these uh, lands represent. Exactly. Moving on to a set of lands that have the subtype sphere. 
Now, does that actually matter? Well, there is a land that checks how many spheres you have, or sorry, it's an artifact that checks how many spheres you have. But the spheres themselves are the more important things. Are these cards playable? Are these cards interesting? They're all specialty lands that tap for a colorless and have some additional activated ability. David, do you want to talk about the seed core? Yeah, so the seed core taps for a colorless. It can tap for one mana of any color, spend this mana only to cast Phyrexian creature spells. As you guys discussed in your modern format, they've errated the old infect creatures to allow this to cast them. Okay, fair enough. There aren't that many Phyrexian creatures that we even want to cast in Pioneer. And then it has a corrupted ability. So if your opponent has three or more poison counters, this taps to give target one, one creature plus two, plus one until end of turn. Um, there are a bunch of like hive like references throughout the set, especially in white that make a bunch of one ones uh, that can't block that have toxic one. So I, you know, I think that's, that'd be the thought here. I don't know that this card is worth it. Uh, there really isn't a poison deck that we are aware of. This whole set would kind of have to create it from whole cloth. And um, there aren't that many 1-1s one even in that set. They had to make their the best card is that green 1-2. It has to have two toughness because red and six exists. Um, so good job, Wizards <laughs> of the Coast. You suck. And uh, yeah, I, just, I, I don't think this card will see any play at all. So we didn't include it in our modern discussion for the, the reasons that David described. It's just not going to make the cut there. But I do suspect that they seeded enough for the seed core to matter in like a specifically a mono white toxic deck in pioneer. You know, Carmen Handy was saying on Twitter that she was tasked with making toxic relevant constructed. And that resulted in cards like this and cards like, uh, there's a one, one legend we'll talk about the basic default token in white is this one, one toxic one that can't block. So that's what the seed core is here trying to do. And we'll just mention these cards as we get to them and just keep that deck in your mind as like the home for this. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about it throughout the, the spoiler here, but the can't block thing, we have to see how much that matters. Right now, the decks in Pioneer that are aggressive are very aggressive and probably just race functional toxic decks as they as we imagine them, unless there's cards we're, we're not seeing or, or interactions we haven't seen yet. So the not blocking might be relevant if you can't actually play a long game. You have to be faster than your opponent, right? That's That's the default in these racing situations. And giving bonuses to creatures with toxic does not speed up how fast they poison out uh, their your opponents. Exactly. And that's such a strange thing. So it makes your creatures deal more regular damage. It makes them trade up. But that's only if the opponent is blocking them. And it's, <laughs> right. your toxic guys mostly can't block. So, All right. That's the seed core. The next sphere that we'll talk about is called Mirex. It, again, taps for a colorless mana. It taps to add one mana of any color, which you can only activate if Mirex entered the battlefield this turn. So echoes of cards like Crumbling Vestige here. It has an activated ability that's actually pretty cheap. Three mana and tap to create a 1-1 colorless Phyrexian Might artifact creature token with Toxic 1 and can't block. So that's that default token. So again, could go with your seed core deck. That's a lot of colorless lands, however. Yeah, this is, you know... <laughs> A real deck building challenge for the tempo positive mana color, the turn it comes into play, it's great. And then after that, it makes colorless forever. So do you have a way to put this land back in your hand? Um, what, you know, are, are you casting some specific colored effect early in the game and then the colorless mana is fine? You know, you, you really have to do the math on some of this stuff. 
Three mana make a 1-1 is an incredible ability for a land, but the not block is <laughs> an incredible disability for these tokens, right? So, uh, yeah, we'll just have to see how it plays out. It, it, they might play out much better than we think or than I think. I, right now, I'm just very skeptical of making these as quote-unquote value plays when typically when you get into the late game, what you're wanting to make your tokens do is block their shielded or whatever. And the fact that you can't do that is a little concerning. Yeah, it's this on rate with the cheapest lands that can generate tokens, like uh, Legion's Landing, Castle Ardenvale. It generates artifact creatures too, which is it's cheaper in that respect than the one that makes power stones from the previous set. So it is actually like doing something interesting, but yeah, it's, it's possible that these tokens are just not worth it. Yeah, and you know, we've had a hard time. We've made we've had a bunch of new tokens, right, throughout the last few sets. We've had a really hard time determining how good they're going to be. How good is a blood going to be? How good is the um the 2-2 zombie that you attack with and it dies at the end of the turn, right? We thought maybe that was going to be better than it ended up being. Uh blood maybe ended up be- being a little better than we thought it was going to be, etc. So they keep making these new tokens. They they are novel in interesting ways. And then we have to kind of decide how good they're going to be. And, you know, right now this doesn't look like a powerful token, but we've we've been wrong before. Next up is a card that you heard about if you listen to our modern site review, the Mycosynth Gardens, a sphere that taps for colorless, or it can filter mana one and tap to add a mana of any color. But the exciting ability is X and tap the Mycosynth Gardens becomes a copy of target non-token artifact you control with mana value X. So in modern, we liked copying Amulet of Vigor. What about a Pioneer? Yeah, I don't know what cheap artifacts we'd specifically want to target, but this ability is incredibly powerful. Um, I'm trying to think of even what the non-token artifacts that see a lot of play are. They are like mana artifacts. Well, that's not that big of a benefit if this is already a land. So you'd want something else. Uh, there are some cheap artifact creatures. There are... Um, there's some equipment, although it doesn't see a lot of play. So yeah, it's it's very interesting. It almost reminds me of like an untapped glass pool mimic, but you just have to change your mind. Like you started off with a land, and then it just becomes a glass pool mimic later in the game. It seems like so efficient. I w- I'm shocked that there wasn't an extra mana tax on that copying ability besides losing the land itself. Yeah, or that it you know would only happen at sorcery speed. That's a way that they've really kind of nerfed some of these effects in the last few sets. Yeah, this seems very generous. I, you know, you, you can hear that Dan and I are both just like the the construction of the card suggests that it's very powerful. It doesn't have any natural homes right now, but the fact that it can do so much is a sign that you should at least be considering it in every deck with a bunch of artifacts if your mana can support it. Or one specific build-around artifact, like an engine artifact that you can just have a bunch of yeah. copies of now so sure interesting card for sure yes and with that we finish the lands and we go to the one drops yeah so we will start with the vindictive flame stoker it is red phyrexian wizard whenever you cast a non-creature spell put an oil counter on it six in a red sacrifice it discard your hand then draw four cards this ability costs one less to activate for each oil counter on vindictive flame stoker in the days of Luris, this would actually have been super sweet with Bobble, I think. Like, Bobble's a card you can buy back with Luris. This is a card you can buy back with Luris. Uh, it is a wizard, which really matters. In There used to be a mono-red shell mm, yes. that, like the fact that you had wizards, and uh, wizards let you cast Wizard's Lightning or the wizard uh, counterspell. 
This is a little better maybe than the 1-2 wizard that gets plus 1 plus 0 and haste if you have two spells in your graveyard. I forget what it's called, but... Yeah, the Gitsu Lava Runner. Definitely its combat stats do not impress me. And I think that's the <laughs> biggest challenge is finding something for the Vindictive Flamestoker to do while it's on the battlefield. The card drawability, super enticing, of course. I love discarding my hand and drawing three cards. This draws four cards. You discard your hand and draw four cards. Tells me that A, someone at Wizards likes me, they love this effect, but B, this card is probably bad because I had to go up to four cards. Like, drawing this late in the game is going to be terrible. However, you know, you don't have to reduce it all the way, right? You can just reduce it, uh, you know, get three oil hunters on this, and then you can pay four to draw four cards, and that's still fine. It's like a late game card that requires you to play it early, and I'm not sure if that is a winning formula. Yeah, my other concern is... In the decks that want to just play a bunch of spells, why aren't you just playing the 3-4 that flips your hand and costs less for the cards in your graveyard? Uh, and we also have access to Treasure Cruise. Like, this card itself is so weak, and it, it, it ties your late-game drawing to something that's very removable, right? It dies to Stomp, dies to Push, dies to Portable Hole. And, um, yeah, I, I just don't think this gets here. If it, if it does, it's because the wizard text ends up mattering it would be my guess yeah it's worth mentioning that this generates oil counters at a pretty fast clip there's a second red one drop called sawblade scamp that also gains oil counters for the same at the same rate so if you are trying to generate oil counters which really only matters for filigree silex which we'll get to this is one way to do it quickly but i don't think that's good enough um but something to keep in mind yes on to our next one drop Venerated Rot Priest, another card we loved for modern. Single green, Phyrexian Druid, 1-2, Toxic 1. Whenever a creature you control becomes the target of a spell, target opponent gets a poison counter. So if you didn't listen to the modern episode, uh, we love this card. It's good enough for infect, but also, more excitingly, you can combo off with this with Summoner's Pact and Storm cards, etc., etc. Yeah, so in Pioneer, there is very little infect support. So this would kind of have to go on its own. There are a few like combo-ish types of cards you can play with this. There is the one in white, which has a storm effect um, from the Harry Potter set. What was that one? That was Strixhaven. <laughs> yeah, Show of Confidence. Yeah, from Strixhaven. Show of Confidence. Right, so one in a white, and it copies for every spell you cast this turn. That's cool with Venerator Rot Priest. There are a few cards that if you play them, it copies uh, like instants or sorceries that target it, the that creature or the other card. You know, there's the 2-1 Fairy from the last set. There's a 3 and a red uh, Goblin that if it's the only target of an instant or sorcery, it targets all your creatures. There's a 5-mana Dragon. So, you know, I, I think this card is good in modern. They had to give it a second toughness because they messed up with Ren and six and they refused to ban it. Um, but these are these, you know, you, you hear me naming all these cards. None of these cards are playable on their own. So that's a pretty big red flag that this card is only interesting with a bunch of other unplayable cards. For those playing at home, that's Ivy gleeful spell thief. Okay. Uh, Zeta Hedron grinder and a mirror wing dragon. Those are some deep cuts, David. <laughs> all pioneer playable though. <laughs> digging deep for those but yeah so all of those plus venerated rot priest um you know you can kill your opponent very quickly 
you could imagine, you know, we've had like heroic style decks, Venerator Rot Priest in that style of deck, you know, the like the one white um, sorcery give a plus one plus one to two different cards. Hmm. Or the flashback white and then white again to give vigilance plus one plus one. Those kind of effects. The problem is that none of these other cards actually grants poison. So you don't want to do a lot of normal damage and poison damage. That, you know, you run into that a lot without the combo potential that modern has. So, I mean, we say that it, that sounds correct to me, but the entire toxic slash corrupted mechanic is built around a mix of toxic and normal damage. <laughs> so maybe there is a toxic deck that, like, you just try to give them three poison counters and this is the key piece to it. Yeah, it could be, uh, you know, but right now we know one very clear thing about poison, which is it sucks to give your opponent four poison and do, you know, nine damage to them. Then they're not being threatened in either way. And you've expended resources to do both. Um, so until someone disproves me, that's my default. And, and this card is the kind of card that I think where you do 14 damage to your opponent and they have six poison. And then you're like, all right, I'm dying to your <laughs> more concentrated uh, game plan. And I wish I wasn't playing venerated rot priest in my deck. Also, second toughness basically doesn't matter in this format. It does die to stomp, so this card is just vulnerable to all the removal that people play. Hmm. All right, next up is Skrelve Defector Might. Single white mana, legendary artifact creature, Phyrexian Might. 1-1, one, one, Toxic 1, and Skrelve can't block. Activated ability, Phyrexian White Mana. Tap, choose a color... Another target creature you control gains Toxic 1 and Hexproof from that color until end of turn. It can't be blocked by creatures of that color this turn. And again, that's Phyrexian White, so you can pay it with either white or with two life. Echoes of Mother of Ruins here, but not as good on defense, namely because Skrelv cannot block. If you choose to just sit back and try to protect your creatures uh, with Skrelv, you're you're not going to be doing anything else with Skrelv. You're not like blocking and then tapping Skrelv to protect itself. Um, similarly, the ability that it grants is just not very good specifically with blocking, right? It's hexproof and can't be blocked, but if you choose to like block your opponent's attacker and then try to activate Skrelv, you actually didn't gain anything from that. Yeah, so this card, I think, is really meant to be played on turn one. Attack, get that first uh, Toxic on your opponent, play your second drop or whatever it might be. And then Skrelv is just helping your two and three and four drops get in there for the rest of the game. Um, you note here, it is an artifact. It is a legend. Dan and I are you know still trying to make Mox Amber work <laughs> in Pioneer, in, in Modern for that matter. We keep getting cheap legends. This is another one. It also being an artifact is interesting. There's a bunch of cards that find artifacts. Dan and I have a love for Ingenious Smith. It finds, uh, <laughs> yeah. it finds both of those cards. I mean, it, they're both in the same color. It's kind of interesting. So it does a lot of stuff. Not being able to block again. It's just we're, we're not used to seeing that text on a card that isn't like super aggro itself. Mm -hmm. You know, a one one with toxic is not the world's fastest clock. So I think this is one of those cards that'll either be way better than we think or way worse. And, and there's no like middle ground. Yeah. This is part of that seed core package where the Phyrexian might token type is an artifact and it's centered in white. So there, there's actually a two mana card that's called Skrelv's Hive. That's basically a bitter blossom spitting out these tokens once a turn. There's also a, another one drop we'll get to in a second that, you know, is kind of like a doom traveler for these tokens. 
it's something that they want us to try, but I don't know if it actually amounts to anything. Yeah, we'll have to see. Is this just going to be a really cool, like, limited deck you can draft sometimes? Is this a car? Is this a deck that's going to be like a player and standard? Or is it so powerful that with some support, it's actually going to be a playable strategy in Pioneer? It has to come in with basically no other support. Right now, in fact, there's a there's a handful of cards that randomly do poison, but you know it's basically limited to just this set in in all Pioneer for right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Modern, obviously, you guys brought up there already was an Infect deck for many years. It was made worse because of Modern Horizons one and two. Um, so adding cards to that is just deepening an existing deck. This deck basically has to all be pulled from this one set. It's very rare that these types of mechanics, which we call parasitic sometimes, uh, ironically, because we're talking about <laughs> bugs, it's very rare that a parasitic uh, mechanic from just one set is good enough without a lot of other support. And so that that's the, the thing that kind of makes me hesitant to believe that this will become a deck by itself. All right, next up, we have a cycle of spells called Twilights. These are the Phyrexian versions of the Zenith cards from the first visit to Phyrexia. Black Sun's Twilight. Up to one target creature gains minus X minus X until end of turn. If X is five or more, return a creature card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. It is an instant and the casting cost is black plus X. So we're looking at if you want that X is five or more, you're spending six total mana. That's black plus five. However, if you want to just cast this earlier in the game, just pick off a mana elf, you can do that for two mana total. Yeah, I think this card is quite good. It's the only instant, I think, of all the commands. Typically, when we have a cycle, one of them is an instant. It ends up being the best one. Mm. It is up to one target. So if you want this to just be a reanimator spell at instant speed against, you know, in a control matchup or something, you just cast it on nothing. And there, end of turn, you can get your creature back. Oh, okay. I didn't think of that. Um, Yeah, and like Dan said, on the play, you can kill their turn one Lana. A mana elf in the middle to late game you get to kill their creature and bring back whatever you want shieldred let's imagine you're, you're playing black after all i highlighted the card micromancer which both finds your one of in the middle to late game every time let's say you only want to play one of these because it is kind of clunky you block your micromancer trades with their uh you know whatever mono whites has something that's three power then you just get this back <laughs> kill their creature kill you know kill their x4 legend get your micromancer draw a card that it's a three for one Kind of can't go wrong. If you're playing a Micromancer deck at all, you have to play one of these for sure. Just no doubt about it. And then can you just play two? I'm going to (laughs) try. So I was not convinced until you brought up the Micromancer because I just, I just don't want to play. I don't want to pay two to give something a minus one, minus one. I don't want to pay three to give something a minus two, minus two. Although I guess sometimes you just have to kill the Fable token. However, if it's a free card that sets up an infinite chain of Micromancers, Yes, I will. I will play that. <laughs> so the first copy, yes, and maybe even two if I want to get really greedy. But I'm just like I'm a little bit leery of like overpriced weak removal spells in turns one through six, turns one through five. Yeah, you don't you don't want this in your opening hand, right? Like I said, if you're on the play, it is actually good against Man Elf because you have to kill it turn two when they pass a turn back to you. That's just what happens. You don't ever want to be killing a Fable token with this card. Like just counter Fable. Come on, censor people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Get your shit together. <laughs> Next up, Tyvar's Stand. 
X in a green instant target creature you control gets plus X plus X and gains hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. So a niche little card here, but the hexproof and indestructible clause for just a single green is an effect that only exists on the card Tamiyo's Safekeeping. Now, when you cast Tamiyo's Safekeeping, you gain two life. We occasionally see that in sideboards. There's a better effect, Blossoming Defense, that just gives Hexproof and plus two plus two. So if you're enticed by the combat stats of Tyvar's Stand, maybe you just want Blossoming Defense. But if you want a mix, right, if you actually specifically want the Indestructible and sometimes want extra damage, there's your Tyvar's Stand. Yeah, I think Tyvar Stand is quite a bit better than Tamiyo's Safekeeping, and Blossoming Defense and it kind of do different things. This protects you from Wrath of God. This lets you win battles against cards with Death Touch, and I'm specifically thinking of Shieldred, mm. which sees a lot of play. Um, just those two things alone are like very relevant. So like just if you need to kill Shieldred and they block it or don't, if they don't block it, you just pump your thing for a million and kill them. If they do block it, you just whatever you pump it enough to kill shielded and your creature survives the combat. So it is just like a very efficient removal spell. Fight effects are not good against shielded. Blossoming defense is bad against Supreme verdict. This card kind of does it all. And in late game scenarios, green has a lot of mana lying around just all of a sudden, you know, it is just a fireball. So yeah, I think this card is super good. Do you think main deck sideboard or just a useful option to keep in your mind, but not actually play? <laughs> I mean, right now there isn't a deck that plays pump spells at all. Um, we did talk about, you know, maybe the one, two uh, toxic one creature leading to maybe like a white green or blue green or red green type of heroic style deck. This card would be awesome there, main deck. Mm. But right now I think the heroic style decks are like white, red, white, black. Um, they're often dealing with enchantments. So I think you kind of need a whole new deck. Or this card would be like a cyborg card against blue-white. There isn't like a mono-green beatdown deck anymore either, right? Everyone's basically just decided that the the mono-green yeah. devotion or whatever you want to call it. Like that that's the stock. There's very little deviation. No one's doing anything else. You used to see, uh, you know, primal white type effects mm -hmm. on these mono-green beatdowns all the time. There's no mono-green beatdown deck left that this might replace primal might in. That deck does, doesn't exist, but maybe maybe it could now because this card is really good against a few of the cards we just named, which are quite good against the archetype. So it might solve problems that those decks had. Yeah. Another card you might want in a deck like that is an efficient one drop. We now have Evolved Adaptation. Green for a 0-0 Phyrexian Warrior enters the battlefield with an oil counter and gets plus one plus one for each oil counter on it. Whenever another creature enters a battlefield under your control, if its power or toughness is greater than that of Evolved Adaptation, put an oil counter on Evolved Adaptation. So this is essentially the Evolved mechanic, templated slightly differently. They're not actually plus one plus one counters, um, but they do the same thing for the purpose of growing this big. Yeah, so missing out on plus one plus one counters matters specifically for hardened scales. Hmm. Um, but if you want a bunch of effects like this, you have them. Uh, and, you know, the oil counter deck, I don't know if it exists or not. Uh, there are effects that add oil counters to creatures, so this might be a card that can get big very fast. Yeah, there's a, a land that we didn't mention it, but it taps to transfer oil counters onto creatures, so that can tap to grow your evolved adaptation. 
Or if you just like evolving things, I mean, you can just say this is another copy of Experiment 1. It's, you know, it doesn't have regeneration, but it's my fifth through eighth copies of that. Uh, now you have a lot of access to that effect. Yeah, looking at power and toughness, which is what Experiment 1 does, and the other one that gets trample when it gets plus three, plus three, does not, matters depending on what you're trying to use to evolve. So, um, Oh yeah, pellet, pellet collector, that's it. Pell Collector only looks at power, right? And that that ends up mattering a lot for for certain types of effects. So that that's kind of interesting. Hmm. All right, how about the green member of the Twilight Cycle? So yeah, I think this is the second best one. I don't think that the blue, red, or uh, white one will see very many much play. This is X and a green. Reveal the top X plus one cards of your library. Choose a creature card and or a land card from among them. Put those cards into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in random order. If X is five or more, instead put the chosen cards onto the battlefield or into your hand and the rest on the bottom uh, of your library in random order. So if your deck is mostly creatures and lands, you know, this is a three mana two for one, you know, in the mid game. And then at six mana, in theory, it finds your whatever your critical land is and whatever your critical creature is. There is no like prime time like creature in Pioneer that we kind of build our whole, you know, green X ramp deck around. So that's a little bit concerning. Uh, of course, Nykthos is the best land by a lot. So this helps find that. But this is not an actual hit for uh, Storm of the Festival. You know, I, I think this probably is just a is a just a miss, but it's it's really interesting. Uh, despite that. Yeah, this card has tricked me a bunch of times. It looks like a Lay of the Lamb, but it's not. It looks kind of like a Divination, but it's not. And then it kind of cheats things into play. So it's just a surprising card, right? For the first five turns of the game, it's a card draw effect, maybe, right? So you can just cast it on turn one and hope to blind hit something. This is just X plus one. But if you want to get that two for one, that's looking at turn two, or more realistically turn three, um, to try to hit a land and or a creature. Once you get up to that X equals five, though, there's no restriction on what creature you get, right? You can get anything. You can get Emrakul 13 and a land, which is pretty slick. So I don't, I don't quite know. Like, is this meant to be uh, like the finisher of what is otherwise a mid-range deck? So it's mainly going to be a two-for-one in the mid-game turns, but you also just use it to find some giant thing. Probably not. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll talk about Attraxa later, but those are the kind of cards that, you know, are interesting to cheat into play, right? Yeah. Six mana, sorcery speed, Attraxa plus land is wins every mid-range matchup and maybe stabilizes you against others. Are there enough creatures? Like, but what do you, the thing is you put these cards in your deck, you hope you hit them with this. What happens if you draw them, right? You, you, we have to solve that problem too. <laughs> you, you're not going to always get to Green Sun's Twilight into them. Sometimes you're going to draw your Emrakul or your Atraxa or whatever. So that problem still remains for these cards that we're hoping to cheat into play. Uh, do we have loot effects? Do we have ways to put them back in our library? Um, but yeah, this this can cheat on a, on a ton of mana, right? And that's really interesting. All right, from a one-drop that is not actually a one-drop, we move down to an honorary one-drop, Rebel Salvation. Two and a red instant, affinity for equipment. Rebel Salvation deals 
5 damage to target creature or planeswalker, that permanent loses indestructible until end of turn. So assuming you have two equipments in play, you're looking at a one red instant, five to anything, that's very efficient. But even if you don't have the equipment, this raid is not terrible. I mean, one equipment makes this the best removal spell in red, I think. They're the only two mana do five effect is roast, which can't hit planeswalkers or creatures with flying. Hmm. Five damage has become a little more relevant. There are shieldreds in a lot of decks now. Um, there are not that many planeswalkers. Indestructible actually matters a little bit, um, especially because there are a few cards in this set that have indestructible that people are going to try to play. I'm actually surprised by like how good this effect is. Uh, and a single equipment to have in play is is you know reasonably. It's not asking too much, I don't think. And if you're playing five or six equipment in your deck, I would play this as my default removal spell, I think. Okay, so very good for the equipment strategy, which doesn't exactly exist yet, but what if I have zero equipment? Would I still consider this, or is it just three minutes too much? Yeah, I just think three mana is too much. At two mana, you're still like wiping out most of green's cheap creatures. You're killing all of green's planeswalkers. You're trading, you know, with mono white's creatures favorably you know they're playing their three mana x4 legend this is killing it at instant speed for two mana red cannot do that pre sideboard at all so yeah i think you have to have some equipment i don't think you can just play this at three i don't think that's good enough yeah so for equipment um obviously the colossus hammer scarter's aid is one way to do it in neon dynasty they gave us a series of creatures that are themselves equipment in this set there's a, a sub-theme that is equipment that has living weapon effectively. Um, so there's more and more tools being added for the equipment deck all the time. We'll see if it ever materializes. Yeah, you just can play... There's a new sword in this set. Um, and I still have a strange love for the uh, the fixed skull clamp. <laughs> this is just going to encourage me to play with it even more. <laughs> oh, the Transmogrin's Chrome. <laughs> yeah, all right. can't go wrong. Next up is Gleeful Demolition, another card that we really liked in our modern episode. More copies of Kuldatha Rebirth. Red Sorcery, destroy target artifact. If you control the artifact, create three 1-1 red Phyrexian Goblin creature tokens. Yeah, obviously Kuldatha Rebirth and, you know, some sort of storm-like effects where you're all of a sudden you're giving them all plus X plus whatever and getting in there. There is no rule of eight. Kadotha Rebirth is not a Pioneer Legal card. This card is just interesting on its face, though. The fact that you always just get to proactively just blow up an artifact is just so good. Mm. You know, there, there is a vehicles deck. <laughs> Red-green vehicles. There's just people are playing that. So this is red mana, a, a main deckable way to blow up um, boat or whatever. I've lost a bunch of random mid-range matchups where you just don't have removal that targets that card effectively. And then... You probably need to be playing it in your deck that has some, whatever, indestructible artifacts. One red, generate three one ones is way above the curve. If you have a deck that's trying to synergize with them or, you know, give them haste or some kind of power boost, that that is interesting. So yeah, this this card just does a ton. It's, it's a very interesting card. Love Experimental Synthesizer. This is one way to get rid of that for value. Absolutely. Um, Icar Wellspring is unfortunately not legal. Hangerback Walker, if you want to go hard on the tokens theme... Yeah, super cool card. More likely just blood tokens from the Voldemort Pure. But yeah, it's a nice effect. 
Yeah, food tokens. Hmm. Uh, the random uh, one mana artifacts that can tap only for non, can only cast artifact spells or whatever. Oh, the power stones. Yeah. Power stones. Yeah, exactly. Chuck those in the bin. <laughs> All right. Quickly, a brief mention for Cacophony Scamp. It's red 1 1 creature, Phyrexian Goblin Warrior. Whenever Cacophony Scamp deals combat damage to a player, you may sacrifice it. And if you do so, you pr- proliferate. When Cacophony Scamp dies, it deals damage equal to its power to any target. Yeah, so this card has a lot of text on it. I don't think a, just on normal rate it's good enough. I don't think proliferating is powerful enough to want to play a one drop, play something on two, add a counter to it, hit them with Scamp, sack it, proliferate the two drop that had a counter, and then do another damage uh, to any target. But I just wanted to mention that this opens up a turn two kill in Pioneer. You play this on turn one. On turn two, you play your uh, one mana enchantment that lets you, uh, when you, whenever you cast, you can cast equipment at instant speed and they uh, can equip to a creature you have in play. Cigar is aid. Cigar yeah. is aid into hammer. Hammer this. Attack your opponent for 11. Sack, scamp to proliferate and you do another 11 to them. So... That that I don't think a cleaner turn two kill has existed in the format. This is so sweet. Like that, that's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, it didn't really process that that combat damage trigger is actually like a nice upside, right? So Fireblade Charger has a similar text on when it dies, deal damage equal to its power. That's another red one drop for your Cigarda's Aid deck. But that does not self-sacrifice. Cacophony Scamp, because of that self-sacrifice. It's not just a turn to kill. It's like if you play this and they play a Llanowar Elf, like you have the option to kill the Elf no matter what, right? You just attack. And if, if you want yeah. to yep. kill the Elf, the Elf is dead. Um, so it's like actually pretty nice just how the, the first ability and second ability work together, even ignoring the proliferate part. Also want to note it is a warrior and that one white mana instant that gives plus two plus two equips for free if they're a warrior. I, well, of course, Dan knows I won't know the name of the card, but so this card does fit very well into just even your less nut draw for the ha- the hammer time and pioneer. Um, I, I think this people are going to at least try that deck out. So you should be ready to kill it on turn one. What do you think about this with uh, just the goblins, right? Like the ability to get pumped up by uh, Runevelt Horde Master. So now you have a 2-2 scamp whenever you want. You can sack it during combat. Well, not whenever you want. <laughs> whenever it deals damage, <laughs> sack it to kill whatever. If they were trying to protect a creature, they can't do it. You sack it, you get the Horde Master trigger. Like, it's actually quite good as just a goblin. Yeah, I agree. Actually, the few times I played goblins, I think the deck is really underplayed. It's actually very powerful. It's quite resilient to sweepers. It's shockingly resilient to sweepers with the Horde Master and some of their lands. You have all these natural ways to buff it. Um, passive buffs to its power are really good because you just start like that last turn. They end up having to block it. It's it's quite quite interesting. All right, next up, moving into black, annihilating gaze. Black for a sorcery, destroy target creature or planeswalker. However, it has an additional cost. It's an additional cost to cast Annihilating Gaze, pay four mana, or sacrifice an artifact or creature. Somewhat similar to Eaten Alive, but 
uh, easier to splash, and it gives you the option to sacrifice artifacts, which Eaten Alive did not give you. Yeah, so Eaten Alive sees play as a one or two of in red-black sacrifice. This card is just better, right? Basically strictly better. Doesn't exile. Okay, fair enough, but almost strictly better. <laughs> the, 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 you can pay four colorless instead of three and a black, and you can sacrifice an artifact in addition to sacrificing a creature. So it's more flexible that way. So yeah, I think this this is just better than a card that already exists in Seize Play. So it's just worth noting. I don't. It's not going to create any new decks or anything like that. But uh, it's. It, I think it's worth mm. worth thinking about. What do you think about Reawakening Tank? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. So it's a black artifact. Whenever an artifact or creature you control dies, put an oil counter on the tank. Then two and a black, remove four oil counters from it. Return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate only as a sorcery. So you and I were talking about if we want to talk about this or not, and then we realized that in the cat-oven combo, it actually gets two tokens per cycle because both the cat goes mm. to the graveyard and the food. And so what it means is, you know, we all know that the card that matters the most is the devil. Mm -hmm. And so the way you try to stop that deck is you kill the devil, and then the, the cat combo is pretty anemic, right? And you just go over the top of it. But with this in play, you just get the devil back over and over again. Every other turn, you play it for two black, basically. And if they don't have an exile effect, they can't ever stop that. Um, I don't know if you want too many of these, but that just seems very powerful to me. Um, or maybe as a sideboard move against decks that are removal heavy. Like, for instance, for red-black sacrifice to beat uh, red-black midrange. The, de the devil is the, the card that wins that matchup. And this just makes sure the devil's always in play. Yeah, I'm not used to seeing cards that accumulate counters whenever artifacts or creatures die. I'm I'm used to thinking this as okay, creatures dying, it's kind of hard to set up, but yeah, tricking off food tokens dying, it's a big difference. All right, we move into white where at one mana crawling chorus is a Phyrexian horror, 1/1 one, one for a single white with toxic 1. When Crawling Chorus dies, create that token we talked about, the Phyrexian Might Artifact Creature token with Toxic 1 and cannot block. The Crawling Chorus itself is not an artifact, so unfortunately we don't quite get that density. Like if we were thinking we want Skrelv, an Ingenious Smith, um, I would love it if Crawling Chorus was an artifact, but it is not. How good is this token? I mean, that's the question. Doom Traveler effects have been decreasing in value over time as more and more get printed. Um, but you know, this gives you a lot of toxic one if that's what you want. So worth keeping in mind. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you put that first toxic counter on them and you have proliferate and other toxic effects or your decks built around corrupted, like you need a density of one drops that can do that. This is one of them. Another one drop swooping lookout white for a one, two flying vigilance artifact creature, Phyrexian construct. 1-1 one, one Flyers have been so power-crept over the years. It's insane how much you get for a single white mana now. Flying and Vigilance and Artifact on a 1-2. Can you use this in Constructed? Well, the fact that it's an Artifact is probably the most interesting part, so you can pick it up off your Ingenious Smith, you can enchant it with Soul Artifact. Is that enough? I'm, I'm not sure. But it's best in class. For its very narrow class. Yeah, and we'll have to see. I mean... I don't think being an artifact matters that much, but yeah, maybe, maybe it just does. You'd have to make it matter and whether the yeah. support is there, 
that also wants a one-two flying. I'm, I'm not totally sure. Cannot equip the Ghostfire Blade to it, which is unfortunate. So maybe it's like not actually going to make the cut in Soul. You can equip it though. There's another artifact. It's like one mana to play, one mana to equip, and it gives like plus something, plus something. And that creature doesn't untap. And if it ever becomes unattached from it, that creature gets sacrificed. And I've always been looking for Vigilance creatures to put it on. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm, no, I don't know that card. Or maybe it gives plus three, plus three. Okay, I'll, I'll look for it. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a cheap artifact. I think it's a one-man artifact. And it accrues for like two. And it gives plus three, plus three. And the creature doesn't get to untap. And if you ever unattach it, then it dies. So like finding cheap Vigilance cards to hold it. Uh, it's like a spinal something. Like a... I think Craig Wesco played one in a deck once. I'm trying to... That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I can picture it, but I can't think of what it's called. And then worth noting, one of the prototypes, you know, the prototype cost for one of them is one white white to make a 3-3, three, three, and it can give any card vigilance uh, at the start of combat. It also flies. It's also an artifact. So we're kind of starting to see a density of effects that are vigilant flyers that can become huge with this uh, equipment. Stitcher's Graft. That's the card. All right, how close was I? Yeah, you got it. One mana to cast, two to equip, plus three, plus three, doesn't untap anymore. If it becomes unattached, sacrifice the creature. Okay. <laughs> nice. I'm telling you people, come on. All right, I think that closes out our one drops. <laughs> it was the exact thing. Before we get any uh, deeper. As always. Stitcher's graft. <laughs> we approach the one hour mark as we move on to the two drops. <laughs> All right, take us there, David. What's on two meta? All right. Love this card. Experimental Augury. One to blue. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them in your hand. The rest on the bottom of your library in any order. That is anticipate exactly. Proliferate. So it's just anticipate plus proliferate. This is by far the best proliferate spell they have ever printed. And it is going to make all possible proliferate style of decks reasonable because this card is so reasonable. Two Man Anticipate is not great, but is playable. Has seen a ton of play in standard as like just an instant speed effect. Proliferate being added for free on an instant speed card like this is very, very, very relevant. It, proliferate is maybe not worth a full mana, but... Let's say it's worth like three quarters of a mana. Um, and anticipate is maybe slightly overcosted by like half. I think you're actually getting a really great deal here to, as long as you're making some use of the proliferate. I'm checking now to see if that's true. So there is one in a blue proliferate draw card. That's pretty bad. There's various creatures that proliferate, but. There's a three in a blue sorcery draw two proliferate and then the blue was phyrexian so it was really like uh you could cast it like three colorless proliferate take two draw two Tesseret's gambit that was probably the best one yeah i i played a lot of that with the four mana chandra that could copy spells interesting so proliferating is definitely the theme in blue black so there's a, a lot more proliferate matters stuff and actually we've got a few coming right up so maybe we can keep this card in mind the experimental augury as a card to pair with the rest of this proliferate package. Honestly, none of these proliferate cards would even be worth talking about if this card didn't exist. Cause you couldn't, you can't just play passive proliferate effects other than this that are like close enough on rate. So this is the key. <laughs> this is the skeleton. If proliferate is a thing and I love proliferate, I just have a weird soft spot for the mechanics. So 
unfortunately for Dan and <laughs> Zach and everyone else, they're going to be hearing a lot about experimental augury. <laughs> oh boy. Pairs incredibly well with <laughs> the best counterspell in the format that you guys also hate for some reason. I have two mana up. What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of proliferate, Void Wing Hybrid is a card that I actually do kind of like. It's blue-black, 2-1, flying, toxic one. It's a Phyrexian bat. When you proliferate, return Void Wing Hybrid from your graveyard to your hand. So as long as you're doing the proliferate thing, you get a bunch of opportunities to cast and recast a 2-1 flying toxic one. Yeah, and just well can turn on curves. You just play this on two, your opponent whatever stomps it, that's fine. Then the next turn you leave mana up, proliferate on their end of turn if they don't do anything, get this back, put it back into play. Two power flyer is something that can race pretty easily. I don't know that the toxic matters or not. Um... Yeah, it just seems, it seems close. I don't, I don't know if it's good enough, but it seems close. So keep this card in mind, and let's talk about Venser, because they would also perhaps get played together. Venser Corpse Puppet, same mana cost, blue-black. This one is a legendary Phyrexian Zombie Wizard, 1-3, lifelink and toxic 1. Whenever you proliferate, choose one. Either create the Hollow Sentinel, that is a legendary colorless phyrexian golem artifact creature as if you don't already control the hollow sentinel you could create the hollow sentinel or option b if you already have hollow sentinel you can say target artifact creature you control gains flying and lifelink until end of turn yeah what do you think of that card dan well i mean i, I want the hollow sentinel it reminds me of tatsunari toad rider the three three that i know which i love do we never kind of found a home for it but that card always seemed really powerful to me Venser is a little bit more forgiving because it's just a, a lower spot on the curve. Yep. Combat stats, I don't love them, right? I, I don't really love a 1-3 lifelink. But I'm, I'm wondering if, like, the win condition in this deck is you just connect once with your Void Wing Hybrid or once with your Venser, and then you just sort of dirtle around. You know, Venser is a recursive 3-3, Void Wing Hybrid is a, is a recursive 2-1, and all they're asking you to do is just sort of buy time while you proliferate and all you're doing is proliferating that initial one poison you gave them you know eventually that one poison that you connected with on turn three wins the game on turn eight because you proliferated so many times i wonder if that's the play pattern yeah it could could be it, it could be i mean that's the thing is these cards are so interesting and unique it's hard to say um the art on Venser is awesome it also pairs very well with thrumming bird you can imagine turn two thrumming bird your opponent does whatever you play Venser, you get to go right away. You just play Venser as a 1-3 that makes a 3-3 that threatens to be a 3-3 lifelink with flying. Yeah, there's a lot of text here. It's so hard to say. We did not ever find a home that made Tatsunari as powerful as we thought it might be. But this card just seems so sweet that we will try. I think we have to try. Unfortunately, the timing of Throwing Bird like does not work with the lifelink ability on Venser. Like you'll gain lifelink after damage is dealt, which is not super great. Yeah, but I think getting the first three three really matters. I don't think the lifelink matters as much. Mm, yeah, and just having the repeatable ability means they have to kill Venser, which leaves behind this three three, which is, you know, not the end of the world. Throwing Bird also printed into this set, which is a nice addition for the blue black proliferate deck specifically. Yes. Shifting gears into red, would you like to make a case for the Hexgold Halberd? 
Okay, so I don't think this card is insane. It's one in a red for... So it has a four mirrored in, which means you make a 2-2 rebel creature, and then you attach this equipment to it, and this equipment does not do very much. It only gives first strike and trample if it's your turn. So functionally, you're getting a two mana 2-2 first strike. And then the equip is two in a red. But this is like the cheapest four Mirrodin effect in red. And I think you do your four Mirrodin deck if it exists. Or your, we talked a little bit about equipment spells mattering. Uh, I think this is a card you're going to want just because it's so cheap. It's just on curve as a two mana, two, two first strike trample. Mm -hmm. It does grant trample. So if you're pumping up some other creature, um, maybe you're loading a bunch of artifacts onto your, you know, your one, one that's easy to equip. Um, it grants trample. If you're playing hammer time, this is a passive way to play another creature that you can attach the hammer to, or that grants trample later in the game. Uh, cause you always need to have a trample effect with your hammer time. So, you know, it creates two game objects. You and I are suckers for things that do that. Um, I think it, it looks bad, but it, I suspect it'll play better than we think. Yeah. And creating that extra game object really is the key. I think that's why Hexgold Halberd might succeed where a card like um, Ogrehead Helm failed. And what I'm talking about is like, let's say I want to build a SRAM equipment deck or something. Ogrehead Helm, sure, it's a creature and an equipment, but once they kill it, you know, it's just gone, right? You played an underpowered creature and they wiped it away and your synergy was gone. Here, the equipment half of the Hexgold Halberd is likely to stick around because it's so bad. So you just like have, you'll be gradually accumulating equipment for your removal spell that we talked about, the rebel thing that I forget his name of, or just in general, right? Like you are likely to have equipments in play for all your stuff that randomly picks up equipment. Yeah. Again, it's actually just going to be a random equipment that's lying around. And if your deck can use that equipment to make things cheaper, use artifacts to reduce the cost of other stuff, whatever, it's, it's just going to be re reasonable. Exactly. Another reasonable two drop is Canker Bloom. Uh, we've mentioned this in Modern already. One in a green. 3-2 Phyrexian Fungus. It can sacrifice itself by paying one sacrificing Canker Bloom to either destroy an artifact or destroy an enchantment or to proliferate. Yeah, this card is insane. They just keep power creeping Kasali Pride Mage. <laughs> this is super powerful. It, it does everything. It's just a it's like an easy to cast watch wolf that also <laughs> can do all this other random stuff. And like, we'll talk about it later when we get to the three drop that proliferates. Like, I think there's just going to be a proliferate green deck. This is going to be an insane cyborg card or possibly a main deck card. Um, yeah, just there's nothing to brew around here, but they just keep pushing the limits of this. I think this is better in almost every deck than the uh, werewolf, which does the same thing without the proliferating. And that card was a huge upgrade over the previous version. So a lot of enchantments you play in Pioneer, so yeah, this is a nice effect to have without having to give up too much on rate. And a ton of artifacts. Like like we said before, there's a whole red-green artifact list. that It cannot beat this card resolving multiple times. All right, what's next? All right, Soulless Jailer. Speaking of artifacts, we might want to blow up. Two mana, zero, four. Permanent cards and graveyards can't enter the battlefield. That's interesting. Players can't cast non-creature spells from graveyards or exile. That's interesting. 04. So, Soulless Jailer by itself is an interesting hate piece. Greasefang is a card. Phoenix is a card. Now, those decks do play, especially after Cyborg, lots of ways to kill this. 
This is an artifact which has mattered to me a bit in like Ingenious Smith builds because it kind of like helps you tutor for your hate cards after board. Maybe the fact that it's a creature matters. If you're playing Extraction Specialist, that's a card I've really loved. Okay, this died to their first effect, then now you bring it back. Um, and then maybe you want to do something like proactive with it. You are playing it in a deck with like the um, the 3-1 that exiles a card from their hand and makes it cost two more. Like Solus Jailer just says it can't be cast. Ever. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Okay. So, um, now that sounds kind of weak. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, you know, begrudge anyone for saying that, but there's just a lot of things happening here. The fact that it's on a body is kind of interesting. It's a body to absorb, yeah, plus one plus one counters uh, from you know aspirant or whatever. Um, I don't know. I, I I think this card's very interesting. Yeah, we liked it a lot for Modern as well, where the card Draneth Magistrate has a clear role to play fighting against, you know, specifically casting cards from Exile. But in Pioneer, there isn't a specific menace that this deck is, that this card is fighting, but it's got the right stats. I mean, four toughness is a lot. And any deck can use it. Hate cards that are artifacts are always worth a close look. Yeah, especially, you know, Mono Green plays Karn. Is this worthy of a slot for Karn? I will leave it to the experts of uh, Mono Green, but it, it's worth considering there as well. Next up, we have the White Bitter Blossom. It's Squirrel's Hive, one in a white enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, lose one life and create that Phyrexian Might token, the 1-1 one, one toxic one that cannot block. There's an artifact creature. And Corrupted, as long as an opponent has three or more poison counters, creatures you control with Toxic have lifelink, so you'll have a chance to win back some of the life you lost. And that actually tends to be important on Bear Blossom type effects because uh, you do get to the point of the game where you're watching your own life total tick down um, kind of alarmingly. And it's nice to have at least the chance to re recoup that. Yeah, and I think that second, the corrupted text is super important. Like we were just saying, it's going to be really hard to race sometimes with these toxic effects. This card is a little clunky. But if you, let's say you're playing a card that pumps your tokens and then as soon as they have lifelink, now you, the fact that they can't block isn't as bad because they're getting that life back on the attack. Mm. And that that is the critical uh, effect to me, getting that corrupted. You know, maybe we're playing the the Lord of the Mites on turn one. <laughs> we're getting, you know, a couple of poison. We maybe we have some proliferate effects as soon as possible. We can get them up to lifelink and then we, you know, whatever we play wedding announcement and it flips or we play. Gideon and minus for it, you know, or whatever. We get these things up to two two, and now the fact that they can't black block doesn't matter because we're attacking and we're gaining six or eight life or or whatever. Uh, and if we have a lot of random toxic cards in this deck, then they all are gaining lifelink. So I, I think that's if it's if, if this card's gonna see any play, and I don't think it'll be great, I think it'll be at least interesting. The lifelink is gonna be critical. Getting that corrupted text is is critical to this card, not just killing you. Some players like to spend turn two on an enchantment that makes them lose life. Other players like to cast gigantic beefy three threes. Malira the Living Cure. Which one are you, Dan? Yeah. Which one are you? <laughs> I would like to do nothing and then <laughs> next turn get a 1-1. One, one. You're in the DMs casting Skrelv's Hive. I'm playing Malira the Living Cure. <laughs> it's not the same, David. <laughs> Malira the Living Cure, Green White Legendary Human Scout, 3 3. So, gosh, that's great stats. If you would get one or more poison counters, instead you get one poison counter and you can't get any additional poison counters this turn. Exile Malira the Living Cure, activated ability, choose another target 
creature or artifact, and when that creature or artifact is put into a graveyard this turn, you return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. So that actually is dipping into Safi territory. Um, however, Malira has to be exiled for that to happen. Yeah, what do you make of this? Well, just the, the combat stats are quite beefy, and it's on a human, so I think, I mean, there's the Hajar from the last set that was a Gruul 3-3 human legend. This is a green-white human legend. This is perhaps just playable in humans, just for that reason. I wouldn't worry too much about the poison text. I think the onus is on the poison deck to prove that we should care about it. But the second ability, Exile Malira to save something else, right? So that's protection from wrath that potentially comes with card advantage if the thing that you're saving is you know, if it has an ETB effect. So that could make things very, very complicated. An extraction specialist, let's say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would be nuts. So, and thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, that's not an infinite combo because Malira will be gone. But yeah, that would be so much value. Yeah, I have my notes in here. It's actually good that this card can't set up infinite combos because I was doing lots of infinite combos with Safi as sort of like <laughs> a possibility in, in the modern decks I was designing before Modern Horizons Rune Modern. And uh, Damon hated them, and <laughs> they were uh, all just maddening. So no infinite combos here. I think exactly like Dan is saying, just Watch Wolf with huge upside and a relevant creature type. Plus, it provides Wrath Protection. It, it's just very powerful, I think, in a straightforward way. It's another legend if you want to <laughs> continue to speculate on Mox Amber. Yeah, nice little card. From Malira, we go to the Filigree Silex. Two mana, legendary artifact. This card is basically Ratchet Bomb with an extra ability. So its first two abilities are exactly Ratchet Bomb. Tap to put an oil counter on the Silex. Or second ability, tap, sacrifice Filigree Silex, destroy each non-land permanent with mana value equal to the number of oil counters on Filigree Silex. But it adds a third ability. Tap, remove 10 oil counters from among permanents you control and sacrifice Filigree Silex for 10 damage to any target. So this is one of the few cards that allows you to just absorb oil from all around your battlefield and throw it at something. Yeah, I mean, I think Ratchet Bomb is just playable, right? So this is kind of a corner case upside, but it's worth playing. You rarely have two Ratchet Bombs in play at once, so the legendary part doesn't matter. Correct, yeah. Um. I don't think there'll be like an oil deck and 10 damage is not 20. So, I mean, there aren't reasonable ways to double this effect, you know, or copy its effect when it's on the stack. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just a ratchet bomb you play. And then if your opponent, whatever, sideboards out the thing you're trying to ratchet bomb, you just keep, you know, against a control deck or whatever. It's just a really hard to stop 10 damage effect. Someone in our Discord was explaining to me that if you're playing the mono green planeswalkers Karn, Kiora going infinite with restorative burst and chain veil that having filigree silex in the sideboard does function within that infinite loop. However, that loop already functions without it. So it's not like super relevant. Yeah. Here's the thing though. Like a lot of times when you start doing the loop, what I'm going to do is I'm going to right click Mm -hmm. and then I'm going to hit concede from the game. (laughs) So uh, do you have Silex in your sideboard or not? I'm, I'll just take your word for it. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care to find out. <laughs> GG's well played to my mono green opponent. <laughs> exactly. So Ratchet Bomb, playable and actually already legal in Pioneer. In terms of new brewing space for Silex, 
yeah, I'm just, I'm curious if that removed 10 oil counter is actually a modest way thing, but it's not like a super important addition. Yeah. What is an important addition is the battleship and devourer. <laughs> I'm going to say this with a straight face battleship devourer. Oh yes. This card is sweet. I, I am unironically excited about battleship devourer one in green for an O three Phyrexian beast. It gets plus three plus O as long as it has three or more oil counters. Tap to make a man of any color, any color, Dan. Mm -hmm. And whenever it becomes tapped, exile target card from a graveyard and put an oil counter on it. So you have graveyard hate built into your mana ramp, and then it also becomes a watch wolf. So shades of werebear, one of the uh, delightful uh, green creatures of Legacy's past. Question for you. So whenever it becomes tapped, exile target card from a graveyard, any graveyard, and put the oil counter on. If there's no cards available, do you still get the oil counter? No. I don't believe so. Or if they uh, remove it in response to your targeting, I think you also don't get an oil counter. Okay. So, Werebear, that is a little bit more sturdy in the early game. I, I don't love the O3s. Like, I, I know that you love Sylvan Karyatid's blocking, blocking prowess. I have not found it to be as reliable against decks like mono red or humans they'll just attack anyway and i think the same thing will happen with battleship devourer where i won't be that happy with the blocking stats but i mean it, it does the right things for producing mana well i don't like sylvan carrieta that much these days anymore either um i'm excited this isn't a blocker it becomes a combatant <laughs> yes. in uh, short order here also like attacking graveyards is relevant against you know a reasonable fraction of the decks in the format um the question is like when you are you going to want to tap it proactively on your turn? Sometimes you won't feel like you can because you want to be able to take out their Phoenix or uh, you know a vehicle from Grease Fang. So yeah, I mean, people are always asking us to like give Deathrite Shaman another chance in Pioneer. Maybe this is just doing everything Deathrite does, but much better. Oh yeah, come on, <laughs> it's <pretty> close. <laughs> All right, from Battleship Devourer. We go to Kemba, Ka Enduring. Here's a legend that might help with this theoretical equipment deck that we're, we keep postulating. It's one in a white, legendary cat cleric, 2-2 creature. Whenever Kemba or another cat enters a battlefield under your control, attach up to one target equipment you control to that creature. So that already is a useful effect, right? You just play your Colossus Hammer on turn one, play Kemba on turn two, and Kemba picks up the hammer. That's what Kemba does. Additional bonuses, equipped creatures you control get plus one, plus one. That includes Kemba, that includes your uh, Hex Gold Halberd we talked about. And if that was not enough, Kemba can generate cat tokens. Three white, white, create a 2-2 two, two white cat creature token, which, again, interacts with the first ability. Whenever that cat token enters, it has the ability to pick up a sword or a hammer that's lying around, equip it to itself, and then it will immediately start getting that lovely plus one, plus one bonus from Kemba. Yeah, this card just seems great to me. I think people are kind of sleeping on how good it's going to be. I think Hammer Time is going to be a legit deck, and this card is going to be a very useful cog. Um, And yeah, even just, like, you play the Halberd on two, you play this. Halberd attacks as a 3-3 three, three with First Strike and Trample. It's just like, now you played, you got your, you know, like we kind of laughed at how you got two objects, but then it's actually a, attacking as a better Watch Wolf. <laughs> And Kemba, if there's a different uh, 
artifact you played on turn one. You can play the goblin like we just described. So you have like a bunch of different nut draws that result in your opponent dying by turn three. Um, yeah, I just I just see there being a red white hammer deck and Kemba, you know, as a three or four of in that list just seems like a no brainer. And to your point, like even in the late game, okay, you're flooded. Just five mana make a cat crew up your hammer. It's it's just very good. <laughs> yeah, it didn't really compute for me that Kemba can immediately come in as a three three plus whatever the equipment granted. It's like that's actually pretty freaking huge. It's a more forgiving play pattern than SRAM. Yes, SRAM draws cards off equipments if you like play SRAM first, but you can't always do that, right? Sometimes I've already played all my stuff out and I'll draw the legend later, and I would prefer that it's Kemba in that case, not SRAM. Or you like Rabbit Battery on one, this on two, crew up Rabbit Battery, attack as a 4-4, haste. Does that work? Yeah, Rabbit Battery crews to this, gives it plus one, plus one in haste, okay. and then this gives itself plus one, plus one. So the Rabbit Battery by itself will not get the bonus because it's not equipped to anything but yeah exactly so you whatever you play rapid battery on one attack you for one you play a tapped red black land because you don't play your uh, <laughs> black leaf cliffs of course not <laughs> turn two play kemba crew that up attack for four it's just so good <laughs> it's four mana haste on turn two like that's pretty sweet we haven't played any bad cards in that you know in that uh series of plays this is not magical christmas land <laughs> yeah rabbit battery snuck in there okay sure. rabbit battery's good <laughs> yeah sure all right next up you like this one ossification dream of ossification <laughs> uh firstborn unicorn Enchant basic land you control for one and a white. When ossification enters the battlefield, exile target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls until ossification leaves the battlefield. So wait, one, we have an enchantment deck already that's playing all kinds of terrible, terrible land so it can um, chain to the rocks. You can make your mana just straight up banned in that list, probably abandon red, play ossification there. You have mono white needing to bring in removal out of the board to get rid of problematic creatures. Ossification kills everything and planeswalkers. And unlike your other like creature based removal of those creatures is not vulnerable to sweepers. Uh, and then if you're playing like two colors and you have a few fable passages and you're playing like three of each color, I think you can just play this as just super efficient removal that gets rid of planeswalkers or creatures of any size. Like white's removal is really bad. And this is a major upgrade to that. The price you have to pay is you have to play a reasonable number of basics. Um, and I think that might be a price you have to pay. I think it's easier to play a mountain than to play a basic land. Like Chain to the Rocks works off Triumphs, works off Shocklands. I think most decks just don't play basic lands. They play one, two. Unless you're specifically talking about like a two-color more one color deck with field of ruins and fable passages. Well, that's the world we need to live in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, white, white blue is playing a one white sorcery, right? That exiles for a number of basic planes. You have there's, there's builds of white blue control. This is just better than that. Cause you don't have to play seven planes anymore. They're playing 27 lands in their deck. You just need one basic in play. But that, that counts non-basic planes though. That counts. Uh, your shotguns and triumphs. This does not. Right, but this just needs one. This needs one basic. Okay. Well, interesting. It gets rid of planeswalkers too. White has not had an efficient way to ever get rid of planeswalkers like this. Mm. Two mana, dreadbore. Okay. 
I could be wrong. I, I yeah, I just don't. You see you it, also so don't like Dreadborn, to be fair. So true. I guess you're being consistent. <laughs> All right, more removal options on two mana. How about Shale Dread's Edict? One and a black instant. Choose one. Each opponent sacrifices a non-token creature. Each opponent sacrifices a creature token. Each opponent sacrifices a planeswalker. So just an edict, but you get a little more optionality, and they still get to choose, but you get to choose first. Do you like this card, Dan? I think the edicts are just not up to snuff and, and constructed anymore. So for that reason, no, but I think this gets around most of the drawbacks that edicts have had. Yeah, I think this is by far the best edict ever printed, and I think it's going to actually see play in the format. Um, the one weakness I think it has is Greasefang actually plays a lot of non-token creatures, like real creatures, and so it actually isn't good there, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. I mean, I want the ability to, like, for sure kill the thing I want to kill, and edicts just generally don't do that. So... Unless it's like a specific axe-proof thing, or, or if I'm like really worried about a deck that plays both one planeswalker and one creature at a time, I just I just don't think I would choose this. Yeah, I'm just thinking of this as like against mono green, right? Like this can kill elf on two if you're on the play, but on the draw it kills their Kiora or Karn because mm. they'll they'll play one of those planeswalkers. Like no other card can do this. Um, okay. Reactively, obviously, counter magic is good in all those formats. So. You know, black has had a ton of removal added to it. That's very good. I think this is another piece of the puzzle. I don't think it like changes the equation, but this card is just really good in certain matchups. And so I, I think I'd at least consider it. Do you like this next card? Anoint with Affliction. Yeah. So one, a black instant exile target creature. If it has mana value three or less and then corrupted exile that creature instead, if it's controller has three or more poison counters. So basically if you get your opponent to three or more poison counters, this is one black exile target creature no conditions if you're a deck that is going to be doing this toxic thing if you're going to be proliferating this is the best removal spell by far in the format it kills literally everything are you going to get to corrupted i don't know but in theory on while you get to corrupted this kills all the things your opponent is playing on turn one and turn two and turn three while you're hitting them with vencer and proliferating or whatever um does get grease fang very relevant uh, kills all the relevant creatures out of red black except for specifically shielded in theory by then you you get up to the right mana cost or the the right uh, corrupted level old growth troll i think is an important one exiles that's which very few cards do actually yeah okay great yeah i didn't think of that great point however i mean it's competing exactly with shieldred's affliction so let's say i am trying to play a, a two black to destroy something shieldred's affliction kills planeswalkers and this will never kill a planeswalker and that's a bit of a concern for me. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, one to keep in mind for that uh, Venser proliferate. But it is crazy, like the black removal spells, right? So you have Power Word Kill, Go for the Throat, mm -hmm. Dread Bore, Fatal Push is the best one. So you're four of those. And you got to play like two to four of these other ones. Then Anoint with Affliction, obviously not a consideration if you're not a deck that has the dream of corrupting. You have the Edict we just described. Some people are main decking a braids now. Um, so you're like two mana suite. You, you can even play the one to black, you know, destroy target creature or planeswalker if it costs three or less. The, the, the options are like <laughs> through the roof. I recommend like playing one of a couple of them and then you get really mad when you draw the one that's bad. Like you draw your go for the throw, your opponent crews up uh, chariot and you're like, what the hell? 
I'm just checking right now to see if there are any other cards in Pioneer that can exile three or less for two black. Actually, there are not. So even without the, the toxic thing, this is still a unique effect, right? There's Legion's End gets two or less. Yeah. Epic Downfall gets three or more. D-Spark gets four or more. So yeah, this is actually unique. This is what America's been wanting. <laughs> All right, from the removal section, we move on to <laughs> speculative brew around artifacts. <laughs> so this one is for you, David. It's Tablet of Completion. Two mana artifact. Tap, put an oil counter on it. Tap, add a colorless mana to your mana pool. Activate only if it has two or more oil, oil counters on it. One mana tap it, draw a card. Activate only if it has five or more oil counters on it. So if we play this on turn two... On turn three, we cast our proliferate card. We get to spend four mana that turn. We get to proliferate and we get to cast negate or sensor or whatever with our tablet. If they don't play into our sensor, we add another counter. We're at three now. Now we untap with four lands and play in tablet. Are they going to make us spend a fifth mana? If not, we're going to go to four oil counters. And as soon as we have five, the game is over. They just have to play into all our counter magic, play into all our sweepers. Otherwise, we're just drawing a card a turn. When do you imagine that's going to happen, getting five early counters on this? All the time? It's got to be in play for so long. It's, you have to choose between tapping for mana or tapping to put oil on it. But here's the thing. If you're tapping to get mana out of this, that's already good. If you're using all your mana as a control deck, then you're just in great shape. All right. So leaving aside the anticipate for a second... By itself, it's play it, tap immediately for an oil. Next turn, tap for oil. So it's two full turns where you haven't got anything yet off the tablet and from then on you're maybe getting mana yeah without the uh, proliferate effect or any proliferate effects in your deck it's very similar to the um what's that one in a blue enchantment where you can like scry the top card of your deck into your graveyard during your upkeep and then if you have like seven cards in your graveyard it flips into a land oh search for ascanta yeah it's like a it's like a search for ascanta that makes mana way earlier it's better than Search for Ascanta, which is totally unplayable. Every time someone plays against me, I just smile. I'm like, oh, I can finally have a chance to win this game. It comes on super early in the control mirror. Yeah, th I think this card is sweet. <laughs> Remembering there's a land called Karn's Bastion that proliferates for four and tap. So now we can, we can have it all. We can tap this tablet of completion for mana to activate Karn's Bastion, put more oil on the tablet, Make the, the hollow sentry for Venser, do everything. Can you lose the game if you do that? I don't think so. All right. The next card here is one that I initially dismissed because it only triggers once a turn. But David, you pointed out that I was perhaps wrong to do so. We're talking about Vran Executioner Thane. One in a black Phyrexian Vampire, 2-2 two, two creature. Legendary creature. Whenever one or more other creatures you control die, each opponent loses two life you gain two life. This ability can trigger only once a turn. So my thought process was if it's worth doing things like this, it's worth doing them a bunch of times. And I, I really don't want to be restricted by having it trigger only once a turn. Well, first of all, it's once on your turn, once on their turn. And the way that the cat oven decks work is a lot of times there's triggers on both turns. So that's four life per turn cycle. So that's shielded. Mm. Um, this is just another card. You can't play five devils. <laughs> They've been pretty clear about that. 
this is a this is a fifth car that basically changes the math on races, right? It's another car that to spend removal on in your deck that doesn't really care that much about removal because you're playing this cat oven thing. So as long as you're trading resources while the cat oven is just cycling, uh, you're just in good shape. So it's actually worth a lot on the battlefield, even though it only triggers once per turn cycle or per per turn, per turn yeah, not per turn cycle per turn. <laughs> Okay. So, like, you activate your cat thing on your turn, then you block with your cat on their turn. Yeah. This just shielded it, but it did it, you know, for two mana less. So, they have to kill it. They can't leave it in play. Interesting. And then the next turn, okay, they spent their removal spell. Now I play my devil. Also, a cheap vampire, if that matters. A cheap legend, if that matters. Some things to like about Thran. Yeah, the, the, the vampire sacrifices to do three, gain three. The vampire uh, planeswalker. So that's kind of cool. Like now it's a five mana drain. True, true. Yeah, okay. I like that. And with Vran, we have concluded the two drops. We move on. <laughs> on to three yes. mana. Up the curve. <laughs> Tyvar Jubilant Brawler. One black green legendary planeswalker Tyvar. Three loyalty. You may activate abilities of creatures you control as though those creatures had haste. That is static text always on. It has a plus one to untap up to one target creature and a minus two mill three cards. Then you may return a creature card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. We love this for modern sweet brew around specifically for a lot of the modern combos like devoted druid, even with Stoneforge mystic, maybe conspicuous snoop, all kinds of stuff you can do there. What about in pioneer? Yeah, this uh, has a bunch of combos there. You have Archfiend's Vessel. You have Priest of Forgotten Gods. Uh, Black Green Elves. The reflection half of Kiki Jiki. Speeding that up a turn has been really relevant. You know, when you give it haste and various oh. fire shells. Now you don't need to play it with fires. Vanifar. Fiend Artisan. Um, Fauna Shaman. Okay. So there's a lot of different ways you can uh, do stuff with this. Like, get back Fauna Shaman. Like... Pitch a bunch of random shit in your graveyard and find the card you want. I, there's got to be some combo there. I, I haven't like thought through what the like payoffs are, but. So Fable of the Mirror Breaker, turn three play. Turn four, Tyvar. You can use Tyvar if you want. Turn five, the Fable comes back with haste. You can do it twice. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. The uh, O3 that exiles a card from the graveyard, you just put extra oil counters on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely a brew around card. I think this is one of the ones that's, you know, it should be high on our list of cards to explore. Uh, it's sweet in both formats and it really makes you, makes you go searching for the, the most delicious interactions. Agree. And it can be used in a bunch of different ways, right? It's just be a value card in black green L's, but it can be like, full-on combo it can find your combo like mill to find the two drop mm -hmm. you just mill in the dark um yeah yeah it, it's super super cool card all right up next is a card that dan flagged is interesting because he and i love to draw cards tamiel's notebook <laughs> two in a blue artifact five in a blue tab draw card that ability costs one less to activate for each other artifact you control so the dream here is that we'll we'll get five artifacts in play Oh, each other artifact. That's disappointing. Anyway, we'll get six artifacts, one of which is Tamiyo's <laughs> Notebook. Then for just one mana a turn, we'll tap and draw cards. 
kind of funny. This is like the fifth card in this set alone that provides a personal howling mind if you set it up right. You know, we talked about Tablet of Completion just now. There's also Phyrexian Arena. There's uh, Norn's something or other, which was, we skipped. This one, I mean, it's... You can sort of imagine setting this up. Whether one-sided howling minds are actually good is... I, I won't answer that question right now. <laughs> You can make it cheaper with uh, Tezzeret? Yeah, you definitely you could definitely draw cards off this. Um, but maybe it's more fun than actually serious for Constructed. All right, let's get serious about a Constructed card then. Bloated Contaminator. <laughs> Two and a green Phyrexian Beast Trample. Toxic one. Whenever Bloated Contaminator deals combat damage to a player, proliferate 4-4. Four, four. So already a three mana four four without a bunch of green pips. This card is the second four four trample without a downside ever printed at three mana. The other being old growth troll, which sees a bunch of play. Hmm. If you go turn one mana elf, turn two bloated contaminator, turn three three mana Nissa minus, uh, or and I should say, and also that turn play um, scales. You have a turn four you've done 23 or 25 damage without playing another card. I don't follow that. So you're saying... Turn one elf, turn two bloated contaminator. Okay, now turn three, I attack with a contaminator, I assume. No, no, turn turn three, we play scales, and then we play three mana Nissa and minus two to give plus one, plus one to both our elf and our bloated contaminator. The plus one, plus one's double, so bloated contaminator becomes a six, six, and the elf becomes a three, three. Okay. We attack with a Contaminator, so it's only turn three. They don't have a six toughness in front of it, so let's just say they take all six. They take six, we proliferate. Okay. Nissa goes up to two counters on Nissa. The Elf becomes a 5-5, five, five, and Bloated Contaminator becomes an 8-8. Eight, eight. And then on the next turn, because Nissa now has two loyalty again, we don't cast any other spells. We just minus two Nissa, give another plus two, plus two to each. So we're attacking with a 10-10 Bloated Contaminator and a 7-7 seven, seven Mana Elf. And we did six on our last turn. Well, I like that. The issue that I'm seeing is that Bloated um, Contaminator does not inherently come with any plus one, plus one counters. You're having to like find those from somewhere. So that makes it, you, know, you have to add that extra piece, right? The fourth piece of the combo is the Nissa or um, <laughs> Invigorating Hot Springs, if you're me. <laughs> That's what I will be trying with this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it'd be sweet to have this um, bloated thrumming bird growing itself every time it connects. Yeah, I just think there's enough effects to do it. You know, Aspirant will be in the deck that I'm going to propose. Um, mm. The uh, green-white fight card that gives a plus one, plus one counter will be in the deck that I propose. Oh, Dramoka's Command. Yeah, Dramoka's Command. You just need to get one on there. Uh, you know, obviously, Aspirant's just a playable card. Aspirant's always been the best card in scales. Just attacking with a 4-4, the thing that makes this intriguing to me is a 4-4 in turn two that I attack with. Is just good. Okay, we didn't get a plus one, plus one. That's a bummer. It's not the end of the world. I mean, still just playing a 4-4 four, four on turn two and attacking with it, that's all Old Girls Troll does, and that's good enough sometimes. So you don't even need, you know, you're not playing an underpowered card hoping you you have some crazy combos with plus ones. Of course, if you do, you just win. But if not, you're still attacking with a 4-4 four, four trample on turn three. It's insane. <laughs> that's interesting. Okay, so this is the throwing bird that we want, right? The, the three mana. This is the thrumming bird that goes that rebuilds a mono green beatdown shell, is what I'm saying. This card I think is very good. It works incredibly well with Aspirant. It works incredibly well with Scales. It works incredibly well with three mana Nissa. Um, 
Query and Beast Caller or whatever, the two mana 2-2 two, two that gets a plus one plus one every time you cast a creature spell. That's another card that's just inherently powerful in your deck full of Llanowar Elves, etc. What's that green green that comes with a plus one plus one counter that you can use to give it hexproof? It's like a troll. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a troll. I don't remember what yeah, it's called. That's nice with proliferate as well in that beatdown space. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so so lots of cards. You can play the green-white uh, card that doubles plus one plus one counters as well in white. I mean, that card plus Nissa. if you don't draw your blood of Contaminator, that card is awesome, so. Okay. Yeah. Maybe better than I thought. Moving down to three drops. Oh, we still have three drops left. <laughs> we still have three <laughs> drops. <laughs> All right, it's go time. We proceed to the Blade of Shared Souls. Two and a blue artifact equipment. For Mirrodin, comes into play attached to a 2-2 rebel creature token. Equipped for two. Whenever Blade of Shared Souls becomes attached to a creature, you may have it become a copy of another target creature you control for as long as a Blade of Shared Souls is attached. Yeah, so three mana copy your own creature is really cool. The fact that the equip cost is very low is very interesting too. So this is just like a floating clone uh, after they kill your original clone. It does equip for free to your uh, one red dude. Um, I always forget his name. Oh, the Fervent Champion. Yeah. Equips for free to Fervent Champion if that is ever relevant. Um, yeah, it has a coming to play ability. So if you're like blinking this artifact, just keep getting two twos over and over again. I just, this card is very interesting to me. The MDFC that is a three mana clone your own creature is very good. So this is kind of competing directly with it, I think, for some slots, but. Oh, yeah, the Glass Pill Mimic. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So not an obvious place to use Blade of Shared Souls, but it's actually pretty sweet and a reasonable base rate. Another three drop that I like, although David is a little more skeptical, Glissa Sunslayer, one black-green legendary Phyrexian zombie elf, 3-3, first strike, death touch. What a combo. First strike and death touch. Whenever Glissa Sunslayer <laughs> deals combat damage to a player, choose one draw a card and lose a life or destroy an enchantment or remove up to three counters from target permanent. For me, this does enough. Like, yes, it is a, just a creature that needs to attack and block to do anything, but what an attacker and blocker it is. And actually these abilities all seem good to me. They're definitely not going to block this. So if they don't specifically have a kill spell that can kill a, a three drop, three toughness creature, which there are not that many of them that do that. Um, he says confidently <laughs> we'll be connecting every single turn with this Sun Slayer I see this card uh, existing mostly in EDH where you can attack someone else and then like they let you hit them so you can blow up a powerful <laughs> enchantment that a third player controls okay sure we don't play any three drops I don't believe in Pioneer that don't have come into play abilities I said the same thing about Shieldred and I was incorrect Shieldred doesn't have to ever hit them, though. You just sit there with Shieldred, which it often does. It doesn't do anything. It's just 4-5, pass, 2 damage. My turn, draw 2, pass. <laughs> you don't think that attacking with Glissa is ever a, like a worthwhile thing to pursue? Like They're, they're not going to kill it in combat. So. Well, they can chump block it if they really care. Okay. Um, it's actually tough to win races because she damages you when she draws. Destroying enchantment is fine. That's the, probably the most intriguing one. Um, 
I just think she dies so easily. She dies for red removal, right? That's just a red to kill her at instant speed. Red, black, you know, can they turn on push or not? I have not found that playing three mana creatures that don't do anything when they come into play is a good solution to red, black. Although this block's better than all those other ones. Yeah, the uh, the one red three, uh, excuse me, one red blue X3 that draws a card whenever you discard. You and Zach are always bad-mouthing her. She draws way more cards than Glissa does. It's just not even close. And But she, that's reality everywhere. She has no combat stats. Yeah, she's a zillion three. <laughs> she's 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 got way more power, and she forces you to like. She forces you to build your deck in a certain way. Glissa asks nothing from you. Glissa just like put me in, coach. I'll I'll do it. I'll get you some triggers if you attack. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> if you attack and hit them and hit them, correct. But you will hit them. You'll be fine. I hope so. I I hope Glissa does combat damage to somebody sometime. That would be cool. <laughs> All right, moving on. Tell me about the Urbrest Forge. Urbrest Forge, tune a red artifact. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put an oil counter on Forge, then create an X1 red Brexian horror creature token with Trample and Haste, where X is the number of oil counters on the Forge. Sacrifice that token at the beginning of the next end step. So the turn you put it into play, you make a 1-1 Trample Haste, and you can attack with it or not. The next turn you make a 2-1 Trample Haste, etc. I think this card is a little too slow for like classical aggro, but I really like the idea of curving this into Anointed Procession, which creates this like unbeatable endgame where on turn four you attack with two 2-1 two, trample creatures, then on turn three you attack with three one two three one trample creatures. Um, it just becomes very difficult for your opponent to race as long as the rest of your deck is just making a bunch of blocking garbage with your Anointed Procession. Okay, that, that's hilarious, but isn't that just Assemble the Legion with extra steps? Well, we're doing it way earlier. Assemble the Legion makes two 1-1s on turn 7. <laughs> Assemble the Legion triggers in not, not the turn it comes into play. Yeah, but that's one card. I only had to take one turn off to do it. <laughs> You're envisioning one turn off, taking turn, turn five 3 years. and turn 4 off to set up this... Well, turn 3, I still get to attack with a 1-1. One, one. You do. That's, that is true. You do get to attack with a 1-1. One, one. It's cute. I mean, it's a cute card. Good to proliferate. It accumulates oil. I just, yeah. It doesn't inherently give me anything to do with the X1s. And that for me makes it not like worth its cardboard by itself. Yeah, exactly. Like you either need to find a way to accelerate the, the rate at which it gains the counters, accelerate the number of tokens in the way I'm describing, uh, or find a use for all that oil, right? If you're like building your filigree, whatever, Silex deck to... <laughs> You know, you do some damage with your attackers and then you turn that oil into 10 damage on your opponent or something. That is Urabras Forge. David, would you like to make a case for the Mirren safe house or is this more of just a fun card? I think it's interesting with Lotus Field specifically. The The issue, though, is that Lotus Field um, is actually better in play if you can get it in play because it's not targetable. The graveyards are very targetable in Pioneer. Everyone's packing ways to hate the graveyard after board. The cool thing about Safe House, where I actually think it'll see play, is the turn that you're trying to go crazy with Karn. You can actually find Safe House. A lot of times you will have played multiple um, Nykthosis, hmm. and you'll have Legend build one of the graveyard. So I think this will just allow your combo turns to be most explosive. I think that's the way it'll see play. It's just a one of in the Karn board. But I think it's worth thinking about um, like a three-mana Lotus Field on turn three that you know, you kind of get to ramp up to seven drops without having to do some of the other things the Lotus Field asks you to do. Or maybe you're doing both. 
And what is this miraculous card, you may be wondering? Well, it's Mirren Safehouse, three-mana artifact. As long as it's on the battlefield, it has all activated abilities of all land cards in all graveyards. So, really interesting twist on a mana rock. Is there like a lands combo, like piecing together the abilities of multiple lands? Well, not in Pioneer, and actually not even in Modern, but um, apparently in Legacy, you can combine Mutavolt and Griffin Canyon to get a unlimited changeling you know million million griffin changeling an attack which would be yeah that's from frank karsten awesome work (laughs) by frank as usual i never thought of it uh i forget i mean i've played with griffin canyon in my youth but i I did not remember the card that's super cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right on to a more responsible three drop how about malkator purity overseer yeah, one white and a blue for a Phyrexian Elephant Wizard. When it enters the battlefield, create a 3-3 colorless Phyrexian Golem artifact creature token. At the beginning of your end step, if there are three or more artifacts have entered the battlefield under your control, you get another one. This card is insane to me. Now, I had a weird love for Blade Splicer back when that was a thing you could do in Modern. This does not give first strike to those golems, but the ability to get a second one is very, very reasonable. Uh, it makes one by itself. You can play Artifact Lands that turn. You can play Mox Amber. This is a legend. There's a bunch of playable one-mana artifacts now. Um, yeah, su- super cool card. I love Blade Splicer as well, and Blade Splicer is not Pioneer legal, so this brings the Blade Splicer option to Pioneer. That alone makes it an intriguing card. Now, whether you're ever going to trigger the second ability, I tend to think that it's just not going to be worth doing. Like, you just described a way to do it, right? Like, you build your deck with a certain density of artifacts, with Ingenious Smiths or whatever. But isn't it just easier to blink the Melkator? Like, if I want a second 3-3, shouldn't I just blink it? <laughs> a second 3-3? <laughs> uh, yeah, it'd be cool if, like, once they're in a blue moon, I generate three artifacts in one turn. But I probably won't. Yeah, I, I, think, you, I think you don't want to be all in. Like, some people are talking about, you know, you play your, um, your one-mana artifact that taps for a... Man, if you tap a creature on turn one, then turn two, you play like Ornithopter, play this, and then play, you know, an Artifact Land or whatever. Darksteel Citadel, sure. Yeah. I think going all in and playing like cards like Ornithopter to try to do this on turn two are not worth it. But every card I'm describing is cards like I've already been experimenting with all the cards I'm describing. Like playing Mox Amber in a deck with a bunch of legends is something I'm interested in doing. This is a legend. Playing Mox Amber and Artifact Lands in a deck with Ingenious Smith is a thing I'm interested in doing. Uh, playing Ingenious Smith on turn two to find, you know, one of those two artifacts is a thing I'm interested in doing. Your opponent probably is going to have to spend their turn killing the Smith. Like, in that scenario, I'm not all in on doubling up the token. It's just a, a very real possibility that I can do it while still playing all cards I want to play. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so that's Makator Purity Overseer. Jace the Perfected Mind, I'll refer you to our modern episode. We had some comments on Pioneer there as well. Which brings us next to Sword of Forge and Frontier, the first Pioneer legal sword, and this is the red-green one. It's three mana artifact, equipment, equips for two, and gives plus two plus two and protection from red and from green. What are the abilities? Well, whenever the equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you exile the top two cards of your library. You may play them this turn, only this turn. You may also play an additional land this turn. Are swords good? I mean, this is the question that I still don't quite understand because there's always the hype for the sword. Like, oh, what's the next sword going to be? And then the silence because no one ever plays them. 
Yeah, and this one is interesting. So, okay, it's good against mono green in theory. They can't block it ever. However, they're playing Karn. <laughs> so maybe you can't ever equip this. Hmm. I don't know what the deck would be that, you know, proactively plays this. There's no Stoneforge Mystic to tutor it out. Um, the art on this is also terrible. Whoever this artist is, come on. <laughs> Scott Murphy, I'm calling you out. This is weak. It looks kind of like a stapler or like a tuning fork. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened here to this sword. Garbage. Um, yeah, I kind of agree with you, Dan. I don't I don't think this card's gonna see any play and the like everyone just remembers losing the first time your opponent crewed up a sword of fire and ice and like, wow, they're drawing extra cards and killing my creatures every turn. That's not what this card does, and that's not what like how magic works anymore. So like play this, spend the mana to equip it. Hopefully that creature doesn't die in response, then hit your opponent, and then you like cast explore. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> I actually think the trigger is quite powerful like i'm imagining okay fervent champion turn one turn three sword of forge and frontier equip it to the champion for free connect for three damage maybe I, i'll land and a one drop wouldn't that be sweet so much advantage there it's like ramping and drawing two cards yeah i think the problem though is like you're ramping in a deck that clearly doesn't care about the ramp because you're playing cards like you just listed a one drop and uh, artifact you're equipping for free. Well, I, I need more mana to equip my Sword of Forge and Frontier. <laughs> <laughs> I think the key part about the black green and the red blue sword, which are the two swords that have seen a ton of play, is that they gave you a bunch of mana back right away or they affected the board. Like mm. being able to shock and kill a creature mm -hmm. uh, would be awesome. Yeah. You know, you, you kill a goblin token, you kill the the 3-2 vampire, There's you kill a mana elf, you finish off a planeswalker. This doesn't do any of that. It's it, so like you're ramping in a deck that isn't built to necessarily ramp. Obviously, looking at two cards is fine, but you have to play them that turn. I, I just don't. I don't think it. It's going to see very much play. Next up, we have Miglaw's Maze Crusher. One red green legendary Phyrexian Beast. Four four enters with five oil counters and has three activated abilities that let you trade those oil counters for value. The first one is pay one, remove one oil counter to give vigilance and menace to Miglaws to end a turn. Pay two and remove two oil counters from Miglaws to give plus two plus two until end of turn. Or pay three and remove three oil counters from Miglaws, destroy an artifact or enchantment. Decent stats, right? Three, three for four and a legend. It's not amazing. I think that, you know, we're realistically we're thinking about Okay, maybe Bard class. Do we want some more fair creatures? You know, similar to uh, Hajar being another another Bard class beefy play. If we're going to move away from the combo build of Bard class and just play fair beatdown, I could imagine Miglaws being a fine card to have there. Yeah, and, and then in like the red-green Kiora deck, this is kind of a cool card. Like it draws a card with Kiora. You do have this like combo ability to give it menace, and then all of a sudden it's attacking for eight, and it is a main deckable way to have a destroy target artifact or enchantment like in your deck, if that matters. Yeah, I think if you ever untap with this and oil counters on it, you'll be very happy at your options. But um, yeah, the base rate just might not be good enough for a creature that doesn't actually have an ETB. Yeah, could be. All right, what's next? Unctus Grand Metatect. One blue-blue legendary creature, Phyrexian Vidalcan. Other blue creatures you control have, whenever this creature becomes tapped, draw a card, then discard a card. Other artifact creatures you control get plus one, plus one. 
And then a Phyrexian blue mana. Until end of turn, target creature you control becomes a blue artifact in addition to its other colors and types. Activate only as a sorcery. So you have all this passive looting you can generate. It is also a lord for artifact creatures. So if you have a bunch of mites or whatever running around, it just does a lot of stuff. It, it you know it kind of reminds us, of course, of uh, the Architect, which is a modern card we've tooled around with a lot. Doesn't generate mana like that, but does reward you for having blue and artifact creatures. I wonder if in the lore this is supposed to be the same creature as Grand Architect. Like it got Phyrexianized, and now he's Unctus the Metatect. Interesting that the first ability doesn't actually give you any mechanism for tapping blue creatures, except, you know, I guess you would need to turn them sideways. Right. Well, it works great with the architect. <laughs> <He's>... It does. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see Grand Architect in Pioneer. That would be amazing. This, for me, like, <sighs> I just, you know, the, the most attractive ability is the one that also doesn't quite make sense for me in a blue deck. I like that Umtris is itself an artifact that is helpful. Yeah, it also went... It taps, it doesn't get to loot, so you need other blue creatures, which is kind of a Gosh. bummer. Yeah. It does so much, though. Uh, somebody creative is going to do something with it. I just, I don't know what it would do, but it has a, all the text lines are interesting. All right, that concludes the three drops. We move on now to the less playable cards. Higher on the curve, we'll give a brief mention to Luca Bound to Ruin. This is a completed five drops. So you can play it on four if you want. Its abilities are plus one to add red-green, spend that only on creature spells or activating creature abilities, minus one to create a 3-3 Phyrexian Beast token with Toxic 1, minus four Luca deals X damage divided as you choose, among any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers, X is the greatest power among creatures you control as you activated this ability. So it's locked in, when you activate it, you distribute the damage at that time when there's no killing your creature in response, etc., etc., Five to cast, one of which is Phyrexian, so it's either five loyalty or three loyalty. Yeah, surprising that this isn't actually more powerful. I don't think this card is particularly good. It, it seems weaker than Chandra, even if you pay the full five for it. You need to have a big creature in play to use its most powerful ability. The mana only being used to cast creature spells is actually a huge downside. One of the things that was cool about Chandra is you got to plus her and still stomp. You cannot do this with uh, Luca. Mm, yes. Making a 3-3 with Toxic 1 doesn't really matter that much because red and green are not toxic colors so you'll probably again end up doing you know like nine damage to your opponent with all these three threes and they'll have three poison counters i, I don't think this card does enough on flat rate I, there's no synergies uh in the uh these particular colors it doesn't line up with the things that red and green are doing in the format right now so yeah i think it's just a miss for me i agree however nahiri the unforgiving this one i do like this is another completed Planeswalker, so 4 to cast Nahiri for 5 loyalty, or 3 mana to cast Nahiri for 3 loyalty in Boros Colors. We talked about this in our modern episode. Um, it's got two plus ones. The first one is to force a creature to attack a player until next turn. <laughs> Why does that exist? That's a terrible ability. <laughs> well, it's good for multiplayer, and it protects Nahiri. Yeah. Right? It means they can't attack Nahiri. Um, the second plus one, discard a card, then draw a card. So that's rummaging. However, it's the forgiving kind, where even if you're empty-handed, it does draw a card. And the really exciting part was the ultimate, which is not actually an ultimate. It's just a zero ability. Exiled target creature or equipment card with mana value less than the hero's loyalty from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of that card. It gains haste. Exile it at the end step. 
Yeah, I think this is a card that is going to l- encourage people to at least try Mardu Greasefang. I think Mardu is just way worse than Abzan, but this card is awesome. It brings back Greasefang if you pay the full four. It can bring back Blood Harvester as basically a removal spell that also gives you future looting. Um, you can bring back Extraction Specialist. I am partial to Humble Defector. That's a super cool uh, effect this can bring back. It's all about the zero. If you aren't using the zero, then I don't think this does very much for you. That Blood Tithe Harvester line is disgusting. So turn two, Blood Tithe Harvester. Turn three, just sack the Harvester. Doesn't require any mana. You just killed something. Nahiri for three. Ultimate her, quote unquote ultimate. Get the Blood Tithe Harvester back. Now you have two blood. You kill something else. You can kill an, you can kill an old growth troll with that. And you still have a three loyalty Nahiri in play. Like you did that and you didn't lose any loyalty. Yeah. Now, do you even need to do that in Grease Fang? Maybe it's just Mardu without the Grease Fang part of it. That is reasonable. This does move cards from your hand to your graveyard, though, so I think you're always tempted to do the Grease Fang thing. Because the, what you just described is so good as a fair play, though, Dan, my instinct is to not waste time on the Grease Fang stuff. Like, you just have to play a bunch of bad cards to, to try to keep it useful, and I don't think you have to do that here. <laughs> you have a note that uh, Humble Defector works with Nahiri. It's true. Unlike Reflection of Kiki-Jiki, this, this will successfully exile the token. <laughs> Unlike Reflection of frickin' Kiki-Jiki, exactly. <laughs> My opponent just drew a zillion cards. I was like, what the hell's going on around here? It's go time. <laughs> Save me, Humble Defector. <laughs> they kill your Humble Defector, as they should. You play Nahiri. Get it back. Tap it. Transfers to their control, but it's gone. Yeah, that's sweet. I mean, this is sweet. I, I like Nahiri a lot. Zero mana draw two. That that's broken. That can't be legal. I think both Tyvar and Nahiri are like super sweet brewing planeswalkers. Price to move. Yes. Interesting abilities. Sweet design space. The planeswalker design has gotten so much better now that they're not trying to make them generically powerful. Mainly because EDH is unforgiving to planeswalkers, so they've generated a bunch of cool abilities. They don't care about standard anymore, so they don't have to overpower them. Uh, we didn't mention this much on the modern side of things, but rebuying equipment card from the graveyard could also be relevant. I mean, one way to stop the Colossus Hammer deck is to kill the Colossus Hammers, and Nahiri gives you extra chances at it. So, in Pioneer, that, that could be another card to consider. Yeah. Alright, where do we go next, David? Alright, quickly we're going to talk about one of the Dominuses. I don't think the Dominuses are particularly good, but I think the red one and the white one are at least possibly playable. So the red one is Sulfim, Dominus of Mayhem. Legendary creature, Phyrexian Horror, 2 red red, 5-4. If a source you control would deal non-combat damage to an opponent or permanent opponent controls, that deals double that damage to that player or permanent instead. 1 and 2 Phyrexian red mana. Discard 2 cards, put an indestructible counter on it. Um, you know, I don't know if this is ever or when this is better than the 2-4 uh, the dwarf legend that uh, adds power to your red effects, but that pumps creatures. For me, that's that's the issue, is that this is only non-combat damage. For that reason alone, I just don't see it for Sulfum. Like, I'd rather have Torbrand at the same mana cost. Yeah, this does make itself indestructible. I guess I was thinking of, like, Chandra with this, like, plusing for four damage every turn is kind of interesting. There's definitely a lot of stuff that still works with Sulfum. I'm just like, Torbrand does it so easily. I guess yeah. Sulfim doesn't care what color the source was, so that's interesting. Right. And then Mondrak is two white-white for a 4-4, four, four, Phyrexian Horror. If one or more tokens would be created under your control, twice that many of these tokens are created instead. And then one white-white, sacrifice two other artifacts and or creatures, put an indestructible counter on Mondrak. 
So I like this more as uh, anointed procession, like five and six. So you just have that effect, like with a huge amount of density. And then hopefully you have a bunch of two and three mana effects that make tokens without mana. So let's say you play wedding announcement on three, you play Mondrak on four, you get two one ones instead or whatever token generator you like. Um, and it's just granting value. The turn it comes into play. It has a de facto come into play ability is I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that's the key to making Mondrake work, and it does get quite attractive if it's generating multiple tokens on turn four. Um, so I think that's the challenge, but it's definitely doable. Yeah, the rest of the uh, Domini Domini, uh, I don't think are very good. We're not going to talk about them. We want to briefly give a shout out to the callback to Blastoderm, Evolve Spinoderm, two <laughs> green green, Phyrexian Beast. It enters the battlefield with four oil counters on it. It has trample as long as it has two or fewer oil counters on it. Otherwise, it has hexproof. So it has hexproof when it comes into play and for the next two turns. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, remove an oil counter from Evolve Spinoderm. Then if it has no oil counters on it, sacrifice it. I really like this card in fight rigging specifically. Basically, once it resolves, fight rigging is going to bring it to the right power before it's ever targetable. And of course, in the meantime, you're making your hexproof creature bigger. That's good. And then once it is targetable, it's a big trample creature. So I think there's maybe enough synergy there that this will see play. Otherwise, in general, I don't think like a Blastoderm type card, as, as good as it was in the uh, fire shells of our youth, uh, is, is worthwhile anymore. All right. Seeing all these oil counters, what if we play the Red Dominus Sulfim with the Filigree Silex? to deal 20 damage in one shot. And we just play Evolve Spinoderm and that legend that came with five oil counters. And that's it. <laughs> we just try to dirtle around and eventually sneakily get 10 oil counters in play. And boom, Sulfim plus Filigree Silex. That's it. Yeah? Any takers? Yeah, that's not terrible. I don't, I don't like playing cards, though, that lose oil counters. I think we'd want to play, like, the red artifact you didn't like that gains oil counters every turn. <laughs> Well, it's, it's all on the table, but okay, that's <laughs> yeah. not a serious, all right. More seriously, let's talk about the 6-6 the six, six demon for four. This card is sure to see play. Yeah, four mana 6-6, six, six, Phyrexian demon, Archfiend of Dross. It enters a battlefield with four oil counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, again, you remove an oil counter from it. Then if it has no oil counters on it, you lose the game. <laughs> okay. That's pretty bad. That's about as bad as it gets, honestly. And then whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, its controller loses two life. So it doesn't have trample, but the thought is, right, they, if, they, if they are blocking it, then they are losing two life, right, to throw their welkin turn in front of our Archfiend of the Dross. I love that clause. I mean, you used to only get that off, like, Masker Worm. And, like, what if, what if, like, we give them a bunch of random tokens, Hunted Phantasm or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what the Pioneer legal, legal equivalent of that is. And then we slaughter him with an Archfiend in play. It's huge. I mean, it's, it's definitely huge. Works with fight rigging. Yeah, works great with fight rigging. Um, <laughs> this is, again, a card you could donate to your opponent when it is about to um, expire. Uh, this is a card you can reset with uh, you know, various blink effects if you think it's good enough. The problem is... If you imagine Shieldred, Shieldred does six damage a turn as well, basically, if mm. you think of it that way. It does two on your draw and then it attacks as a four five with death touch. So yeah, this has flying, but it's Shieldred also has, you know, like a f abilities against like blue red and other things. 
So I, I think it's hard for this to be better than Shieldred, um, unless you unless you're playing some kind of combo, right, where you're donating this or you're like Dan's describing, giving them a bunch of creatures and and killing them that way. Playable demon for Kalia Zenith Seeker. I will leave you with that thought. <laughs> As we move on to Mind Splice Apparatus, three and a blue artifact, Flash. At the beginning of your upkeep, put an oil counter on Mind Splice Apparatus. Instead, the sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast for each oil counter on Mind Splice Apparatus. So you're playing some kind of blue reactive deck. Instant speed, turn four, you have a window, you flash this in, go to your upkeep. Immediately, you now have a one cost reduction on all your stuff. The next turn, you have two cost reduction, and it just gets more and more obscene from there. Yeah, again, the Proliferate Anticipate is so good here. Once this is in play, the Proliferate Anticipate is free that turn. Costs, during your upkeep, one blue to cast, and then it makes your next instant spell cost two less. So it's basically paying for itself. Um, Grow Spiral, another card that's interesting with this, with, you know, two mana counter spells, with um, the Anticipate. Those are all two mana things to leave up. Okay, we now we're reducing our spells. Now what do we do? I kind of like the idea of a turns-based spell with this. This is a card that goes way up the curve. So eventually we're casting our turn spells for two mana, right? Make two birds take a turn. And as we take turns, the first turn actually, this is sort of like a Planeswalker that gains another ability, right? It reduces our spells further. Uh, and then maybe you just win with an X spell after you've taken a bunch of turns. You only have to do not that much damage to uh, finish your opponent off. Um, so yeah, I, I, this has like, it's not Wilderness Wreck. It's much worse, but it has the same kind of deck that it could go in. We don't get to play our instant speed, take a turn spell, which would be insane with this card, but uh, it's that kind of effect. Yeah, it's fascinating. This is a fascinating card. Like... Massive cost reduction. We were looking at uh, Urza a couple weeks ago, and we were trying to figure out like what's the best thing we can do once we have all this cost reduction. And this is like <laughs> to the extreme. Like, what if you could have three cost reduction on every freaking spell? Like your memory deluge. It doesn't see as many cards, but you're tapping nothing basically to cast it. Well, I would not ever play this with memory del deluge. Why not? It's still draw two, even if you're not. If you're only looking at two cards, you still get to keep them. Still good. Yeah, but I don't want to do that. I'd rather just play the blue. <laughs> Once this gets to three, I'd just rather play blue, look at, or scry two, draw two. Well, I just never want to run out. I want, I want to always have stuff to cast. Like, Well, you should. I think X spells are the cards that are going to do really good with this. Hmm. Like X spells and turn spells. The turn spell okay. gets us up to four or five. And now, like, maybe that red X spell that, like, copies its or... I, we'd have to figure out what the best like way to actually win the game is, but X spells just get infinitely good. You could play the red blue counter spell that does X damage to the controller. Like, <laughs> <laughs> jeez, yeah. I mean, it's an exciting card to have him play. Yeah, it's probably one of those where you just like you feel like you can't lose, and then you do. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to five drops and above. LS Norn, Mother of Machines. Uh, we mentioned this in Modern. It could be a sleeper there. David, you like it in Pioneer as well? Oh, yeah. This card's going to be insane. The first deck I'm going to build is going to have four Kiora, four Elish Norn. I think people are really sleeping on how powerful this card is. It just beats entire archetypes by itself. 
For instance, the enchantment deck, whether it's Kruga or Urian, cannot beat this. Has no way in its main deck to beat it. So that that that's a buy every time you play it. Dies to very, very little out of mono green, so it stops all their coming to play effects. Uh, white's removal, like in mono white, is all coming to play based. So once you establish like your Kiora plus Elish Norn, you also can't lose there unless they overrun you. Um, so you just have to like shore up all your bad matchups. You can't, you, your deck is going to be very poor against spirits, very bad against uh, Lotus Field and Control. So you get to basically like dedicate 15 slots. Can you fix those three matchups? If you can, this deck is uh, the, the shell that I'm proposing is going to be very good. Yeah, Kiora and Elish Norn is an insane sequence. Um, if this turns out to be a real deck, I mean, the price on this card is just going to be even more absurd than it already is. So I, I don't know when we'll actually be able to afford four copies of Elish Norn for you, David, but <laughs> I will do my best. Immediately. We're going to need some more Patreon subscribers to be able to purchase these. <laughs> They're going to be like 100 tickets a pop, I'm sure. But it's just so nice, too, because you get to play the white removal, which is all coming to play base. So... Some number of ossification, some number of portable holes, the white enchantment that can uh, be channeled to blink. So if you're playing cards with like four power with cure in play, um, it just turns into multiple draws. Chariot is a card that's going to be in this deck. Like it, it kind of builds itself in, in a certain way. Once you think about it, you can play some number of storm the festival. Just all your effects are going to be crazy. And you just have these free wins. Like sometimes you're going to play in a league and play three uh, matches where you can't lose, like a resolved Elish Norn is unkillable and it stops what their deck does. Five mana, four seven vigilance, doubles all your ETBs and shuts down all your opponent's ETBs. Amazing card. Yeah. All right, next up Argentum Masticore, five mana artifact creature, Phyrexian Masticore, first strike, protection from multicolored. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice Argentum Masticore unless you discard a card. That's all Masticores have this clause. However, when you discard a card this way, Argenta Mascore lets you destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls with mana value less than or equal to the mana value of the discarded card. That's pretty sweet. However, at five mana, this for me, this is too slow despite the sweetness. Yeah, it is slow. It is a little clunky. You're going to have to do some work to make this work for you, but it depends on the removal suite people end up playing. It survives Dreadbore. Can't be targeted by push, can't be hit by go for the throat, Knight of Autumn, or Deputy Detention. Hmm. It blocks every creature profitably in the entire format, including Shieldred, except for specifically Cavalier of Thorns. Cannot be killed by uh, Boat. Blocks Chariot. Oh, and the new Glissa Sunslayer. I mean, that's that's the new meta. It trades. <laughs> <laughs> they trade. Oh, this is protection from multicolor. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ruined. Oh, my gosh. So are people, people have been playing go for the throat, not power word kill lately in the, the decks I've been playing. So like red black has no way to kill this right now. If this resolves after board, they maybe have an or two. And then again, you kind of have to build your deck a weird way. If you're playing madness spells, this is just an insane card. Like you discard your madness bolt, you do three damage, kill whatever bone crusher giant. Then you blow up a three drop fable, the mirror breaker. That's an unbeatable series of sequence. They can't attack through this creature and it just generates all this value. But to your point, it is a five drop. So like, can you get there in a reasonable amount of time? Well, we've been experimenting with the uh, one three that taps to make two mana to cast an artifact. You know, is it time? <laughs> is it go time? 
Next up is Thrun, Breaker of Silence. Three green green, legendary troll shaman, 5-5. Five, 5-5, five. Five, five, trample. Thrun, Breaker of Silence can't be the target of non-green spells your opponents control or abilities from non-green sources your opponents control. Thrun cannot be countered. As long as it's your turn, Thrun has indestructible. So can't be countered. I mean, these tend to be often just sideboard tech against the blue decks. They basically are trying to give Thrun Hexproof Indestructible, but they're stopping a little bit short of that. Yeah, still dies to sweepers, right? Your opponent casts <laughs> Supreme Verdict. Yeah, Indestructible on my turn, but that doesn't help me that much. So on your turn, you're allowed to kill it, but not with non-green spells. You cannot target it with non-green spells. Yeah, so this is actually weirdly a much better cyborg card against red-black. Mm. So it... Now Shieldred cannot block it right profitably. Now your garbage 3-3 uh, three, three first strike tr <laughs> death touch cannot block it profitably. Um, but yeah, it's it's not actually a good anti-control cyborg card. So it's like to dominate mid-range matchups. And maybe that's enough as a, as a one-off. Again, the, the mono green list that exists currently in Pioneer is full of artifacts. It's a card board. They typically don't sideboard more than one or two cards and they don't play very many non-artifact cyborg cards. Is this worth a slot just to beat red black? Well... Red Black is now a slight favorite against Mono Green with some of the new tech they've been adding. So maybe this is this is a needed card. I, I, I don't know. Much like the original Thrun, I mean, all of these words, they serve only to protect Thrun. They don't help the rest of your strategy in any way. So it's just a 5-5 trample that you're going to have for a while. Um, does that win the game? It depends. Yeah. It does do a lot of damage. <laughs> all right, moving on to these six drops. All right, the Eternal Wanderer, four white-white legendary planeswalker. No more than one creature can attack the Eternal Wanderer each combat. Plus one, exile up to one target artifact or creature, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of that player's next end step. Zero, create a 2-2 two -two white samurai creature token with double strike. Minus four for each player, choose a creature that player controls. Each player sacrifices all creatures they control not chosen this way. Super, super cool Planeswalker. I think this is one of my favorite designs on like a big splashy walker they've ever done. It does a bunch of stuff. The no more than one creature can attack it is interesting. It is a blink Planeswalker. There's actually a lot of tokens. Like you can positively blink your opponent's uh, fable token or whatever. Just it's gone forever. Um, super cool card. The minus four is sometimes relevant if you're in a mid-range matchup. I don't know if this is powerful enough, unfortunately, but I, I, I love everything this card does. I think it's extremely, extremely powerful. It's almost as powerful as um, the six mana Elspeth, but it's not six mana. Like I, I just don't know if we're ever going to play this. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Like six mana Elspeth is super powerful. We all agree. It sees no play. No deck even considers it in the format. Mm. And this is, you know, like you say, maybe it's ninety eight percent of that with some synergies, and that just might not be enough. Six mana is six mana. It's really hard to cast. A six mana spell that isn't, you know, sweeping the entire board. <laughs> I mean, this kind of sweeps the board, just not quite. <laughs> it sweeps yeah. most of the board. Yes. What would be really nice is if our six drop also could be cast for three, like Capricious Hellraiser. The dragon for six that you can sometimes cast for three. Now, we talked about this in Modern with uh, Dragonstorm, among other things. <laughs> but it's three red, red, red. Phyrexian Dragon, four, four, flying. Costs three less if you have nine or more cards in your graveyard. When Capricious Hellraiser enters, exile three cards at random from your graveyard. 
choose at random among them a non-creature non-land card. No, sorry, not at random. Choose your choice, a non-creature non-land card from among those three. You may cast it and copy it without paying its mana cost. Yeah, so I think there's two ways to do this. One, you can play it almost as your, like, T-Cruz replacement. So you just put a bunch of cards in your graveyard, and then this is a three-mana 4-4 that, like, draws a card, right? It's probably going to find a cantrip or something. Or you can put, like, high-value cards in your graveyard, take a turn, you know, some of the crazy powerful sorceries, cast this with only a few cards in your graveyard, or cast this, if you want to get super advanced, cast this for three with nine cards in your graveyard, and then, like, dig in response so that the only the remaining cards are super powerful. And so you have, like, dig plus whatever, take a turn, make two birds, whatever your effect is. So you have a bunch of different ways you can play it. Now, most of them involve the graveyard. Graveyard hate is everywhere because Phoenix and Greasefang exist. So your fail state at least is a six mana four, four flying, which is not a great card, but is not unplayable. Like at least it does something on the board. I think this card is super cool and and is worth experimenting with. So on turn five, right? I have nine cards in the graveyard because I did a bunch of stuff. I cast Capricious Hellraiser. Trigger on the stack, I delve away six of the cards in my graveyard to cast Dig Through Time. Now I have four cards in the yard, one of which is Dig Through Time. And the Hellraiser will most likely give me the option to dig, plus whatever else I left in there. That's kind of cute. Apart from like building around that weird stuff, like is this just like a fine, fair card, or is it too random? Well, it is competing with your treasure cruise, right? So I don't... I think it's almost for decks that aren't all in on the treasure cruise plans. Because mm. why would you ever cast this instead of treasure cruise? And red, red, red is not trivial, right? If you're playing red, blue. Um, so that that's a little harder. Is Are there mono red ways to just fill up our graveyard? That's something to think about. But the other thing I was thinking is like you can like neoform a four drop into um, Goblin Dark Dwellers, then do- Dark Dwellers... Targets Neoform, Neoform, Dark Dwellers into Hellraiser. So it's like, as long as you can, whatever, your four drop is some kind of looting effect that puts the instant or sorcery you want in your graveyard, then you can like Capricious Hellraiser on turn four pretty reasonably into whatever crazy spell you want. Remember during that uh, perennial behemoth Neoform combo, we were lamenting how there's no good six drops in the format. Maybe this is it. This is it. You know, maybe... The whole cost reduction is a complete distraction. Like, it's actually better to not have a big graveyard. You know, you can just get the omniscience back if you could, if you set it up properly with a modest-sized graveyard. Yeah. I just, This card does a lot of stuff, right? You can play it the quote-unquote fairway where you're just, like, casting a bunch of cantrips. Hmm. You're, you know, you cast a three-mana sorcery, looks at your top five, you're, whatever you're doing, you're, um, the black-green look at your top five, pick a card, you know, you find your Capricious Hellraiser. You can do all that stuff, and maybe it's just a three mana four four that draws a card, basically, or you know recasts a, a cantrip like effect. Or you can do something else, where it just like wins the game when it resolves. Or you can just try to get lucky, right? Like you cast with a giant graveyard, and some of those cards in your graveyard are lands, and you hope you, those aren't the three. I mean, it's it's better than drawing. It casts cast for free. It casts planeswalkers for free. It casts uh, yeah. artifacts for free. It's it's so interesting. All right, moving on. Nissa Ascended Animist. Yeah, three green, green, and then two completed. So it's a formal cast of seven mana. 
Plus one, create an XX green Phyrexian horror creature where X is Nissa Ascended Animus loyalty. So it either starts with three, five, or seven loyalty. Minus one, destroy target artifact or enchantment. Uh, minus seven, until end of turn creatures you control get plus one, plus one for each forest you control and gain trample. And it uh, starts with seven loyalty. Obviously, if you cast it for six mana, you get it for five loyalty. Five mana, you get it for three loyalty. This card is super cool, super powerful. It is not a Storm of the Festival hit, so it will not see play a mono green, uh, which is very unfortunate. But that is the lens through which every permanent is going to be viewed. Uh, and there is no other ramp deck that's playing this over something else. So if I were just trying to ramp and cast this, I would cast it for five. I would pay four life for that privilege. I would get a three loyalty Nissa. I could plus one to, I guess the, the token is... Four. Four, right? Is that That's checked when the ability is resolved right? yep. it doesn't it doesn't change throughout the game no the next turn i could plus again and get a five five i mean yeah you get board presence this way you definitely do but that's you know five mana walkers were were already in like suspicious territory and the five mana nissa that already exists is better than this on five yeah. the only reason you'd play this is because of the variability where or maybe you play the five mana nissa to help you cast this nissa hmm. um I mean, my appeal here is if you get up to seven mana and you've got a few creatures in play and six forests, this is the most powerful overrun ability we've ever seen. I mean, it's just going to torch your opponent. So if you're like playing the five mana Nissa, make a three, three, and then the next turn you like have a two, three, threes in play, and then you give them cast this thing and make a, make them, you know, 10, 10 trample or something. I mean, mm. yeah, starting the festival is just better. It's just a better card. It works better with Cavalier. Uh, it works better with Nykthos. There's just, this is not going to see play in, in mono green. A seven drop that asks a lot less of you, in my opinion, attracts a grand unifier, a card that is so powerful that we actually kind of talked ourselves into this in modern as well. It's three green, white, blue, black. Those are Atrax's signature colors. Seven, seven legendary Phyrexian angel flying vigilance, death touch and lifelink. When Atraxa enters a battlefield, reveal the top 10 cards of your library for each card type. You may put a card of that type from among the revealed cards into your hand, the rest go on the bottom in a random order. So that's the Niv-Mizzet clause. This is our boy. This is Niv. What are the card types? Well, there's the eight that we know of, plus a new one called Battle. We don't know what battles are. Presumably that's from an upcoming set, but this means there is going to be a ninth card type. Yeah, I think you need to cheat this into play, probably with Neoform. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very good stabilizing card it draws probably three to four cards so i was postulating in the modern episode that even without any special deck building this draws four cards on average yeah there, you don't don't do anything special to get more hits here that's this is not like them is it yeah but if you i mean you could conceivably get six cards without like going too far out of your way the fact that it just pulls a land is very impressive um I, mean, I was wondering if this is like the premier card to cheat into play, even with something like uh, Indomitable Creativity, for example. Maybe it's just the thing to do there. Yeah. You know, every time they're, they're printing a lot of better like boom booms, I think we've kind of like updated our seven drop of choice, mm. like very frequently the last 18 months. This might just be the one. I don't like that in most of these decks, because of the mana cost, you don't ever have the plan C of casting this. So you're like all in on cheating it into play, but maybe that's just the price you have to pay. Gosh, I mean, this is just so good. I would just love to <laughs> get this into play. I don't care how, I don't care what we have to do. <laughs> like, 
Titan's Nest, sure, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> Whatever it is, if it, if it generates mana and gets me to seven, I will try it. That crappy Luca, sure, why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> it's just so huge. I mean, it dominates the battlefield, like instantly stabilizes you. And then the Vigilance lifelink, like you just never block like you never you never even have to call the bluff you just like take all your damage i'm attacking next turn like can you kill it or not right white removal does some of black's removal does some does not because it is an angel and red damage can't <laughs> kill it without uh getting very lucky like having multiple pieces in your hand and you point out that this by itself brick walls the Prahelion grease fan combo yeah so yeah, the first turn they attack, you actually lose one life. You block, the, or, or I guess you could block a 4-4 four, four if you just wanted to let the 5-5 five, five go back to their hand. So you go down two, but then you attack back for seven, and then the game is over, even if they have a way to discard. Plus you have a new hand of cards. So. Yes, right, exactly. All right. Uh, what's next, David? All right, Kaya Intangible Slayer. Three white, white, black, black, legendary Planeswalker Kaya. Hexproof. First time a Planeswalker's ever had Hexproof, I believe. Plus two, each opponent loses three life. You gain three life. Zero, you draw two cards. Then each opponent may scry one. Love that ability. Super cool. Minus three, exile target creature or enchantment. If it wasn't an aura, create a token that's a copy of it, except it's a one, one white spirit creature with flying in addition to its other types. So this is a super powerful Planeswalker, but seven mana is so much mana. I think you need to cheat this into play from your graveyard or wherever else. Uh, I, don't, I don't think you can just play this fair. I don't, I don't think there's any seven mana permanents we play in the format, like by tapping seven lands. Is she enough? Is she powerful enough that you can even consider her over an Ugin gone into the realm of cheating into play? She has a Hexproof, which is nice. Well, I think Ugin is not that good in a deck with other permanents. Mm. Yeah. Because if you're playing white and black colored permanents, so let's play you're playing like a Urian type of shell mm. or something, um, then you don't want to play Ugin because that minus like, you know, gets rid of your edict enchantment. You're hoping to blink with Urian or whatever. Yeah, I guess that that is true. I mean, that minus three is so freaking good. You kill their yeah, thing the and you get your own copy of it. Yes. Amazing. So yeah, you imagine like killing their shieldred or whatever, then you get a shieldred. Like it's a two for one. Plus if their creature had to come into play ability, you get that. You get the spirit of shieldred. Only one, one, yes, five. exactly. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah I, I've seen people like posting lists where just like, Oh, just play two of these on the top end. I, you cannot do that. I don't believe in the format. Mm. Not, there's not enough time. All right, last card here we'll talk about for Pioneer. Another 7-drop to compete for that best 7-drop to, to cheat in, perhaps. This one, 4, green, 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 Tyranax Rex. 8-8, eight, eight, Trample, Haste, Ward 4, and cannot be countered. It also has Toxic 4, so if you want to give your opponents <laughs> 4 poison counters, a Tyranax Rex is likely to do so. And I know that's a bit silly. It turns on corrupted, but it also means that, uh, you know, any kind of chump blocking is unlikely to succeed because any amount of trample damage deals four poison counters. Yeah, I think this is the best can't be countered green effect. If I had to pick one, I think it's better than uh, the seven, six trample. I think it's better than Thrun against control specifically because the haste really matters. So we play this um 
they can kill it, right? They're they're allowed to pay the ward for. Yes. Will that actually come up? I mean, that would be very disappointing for me if that happened. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly possible. You could imagine them like you could imagine them on turn eight getting to play their uh four mana planeswalker and then paying the ward four. Mm. after this has done some serious damage to them. <laughs> oh, Wandering Emperor just taking this down? Gosh. Yeah. But I mean, eight mana is a ton. You know, the, the white mana, white removal is not great. The black removal that targets this is two mana. So that that's something that red-black could do is get up to six mana, right? And one of the terror effects on this, just pay six. If they've gotten to attack with, for instance, a few uh, goblin tokens that make treasures. So for tier next Rex, are you thinking ramp to it or cheat it into play? Or just play a long game and have this be your finisher? I don't think cheating this into play is good enough because it doesn't win the game and it doesn't draw any cards. So it still dies to sweepers. I think this is more just like a sideboard card in your green ramp deck. I see. Okay. You know, because control has a reasonable matchup against mono green. The, the negates and stuff are actually really good against them. And so Rex is a card that they actually would struggle to deal with. Same with red, uh, blue, black. Um, but I, I don't know if this is good enough. I mean, it dominates mid-range matchups too, but like it actually isn't that good. You just could block it with Shieldred uh, and trade. Hmm. Oh, they get four poison counters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how can you survive with four poison counters? All right, I think that concludes our Pioneer set review coming in at a clean two and a half hours. <laughs> yes. I think there's a ton of tools, a ton of tools in this set for Pioneer. A ton of sweet ones. I mean, gosh, I think this set's going to keep us busy. I was not that high on the set when like the first batch of lease came out, but now that we've seen more, I've had more time to think about it. I, I think we're going to be very busy. Yeah. All right, David. Always a pleasure. Thanks for walking us through some of the directions to explore. My pleasure. Looking forward to uh, getting some new brews together. Should be fun. All right. Take care. All right. Take care. This concludes our Pioneer set review for Phyrexia All Will Be One. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, you can join our community at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. And don't forget to follow us in your podcast app to hear new episodes as soon as they drop. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.